Hi everyone, this is Mike Smith from The Complete Works, and you may be aware that we are shifting our focus over the next few weeks. Uh, over the past year, we've been covering Jeff Goldblum, a Complete Works podcast. What you may not know is that is actually season two of The Complete Works, okay? We have been doing this podcast for a long time, uh, but it took us a long time to get to season two because the first person we covered was Nicolas Cage, who has a lot of movies. Plus, we were recording bi-weekly back then, so it took us a lot longer to get through an entire filmography. Uh, when we came up on the 50th episode of our Jeff Goldblum podcast, we realized that was a pretty good cutoff point to kind of go back and take a look at what Nicolas Cage has been doing over the past couple of years since we stopped recording podcasts about him. So we decided we're going to cover every 2019 Nicolas Cage movie, every 2020 movie, pretty much leading up into the present day uh, with this next kind of mini series, kind of taking a break in between your Jeff Goldblum season. So next week, the season of Nicolas Cage will officially begin in earnest uh, with our episode on Love and Tosha, the documentary about actor Anton Yelchin in which Nicolas Cage is the narrator. Uh, before that, I figured, you know what? For a little bit of a refresher, in case maybe there's people out there who have not heard our Nicolas Cage episodes, we would throw this uh, out there as kind of a rerun. This episode you're about to hear is our finale episode, the last episode we recorded about Nicolas Cage before we switched over to Jeff Goldblum. This is our big top 10 ranking of all our favorite Cage movies, our favorite Cage performances, our favorite Cage freakouts, and all that stuff. Uh, a good primer, I think, because it kind of covers pretty much his entire career. Uh, before we dive right back into doing new weekly episodes next week. Uh, so what you're going to hear first uh, at the beginning of the episode that we uh, recorded uh, is a bunch of clips of people talking about Nicolas Cage in pop culture, a lot of funny bits. And then the very beginning of the episode is a clip from our first ever episode of the complete works where we talked about Nicolas Cage, the intro that we did, and then it transitions into the full on top 10 episode. So there you go. Uh, check it out. And hopefully we'll be seeing you guys next week for our episode on love and Tosha. In the meantime, enjoy our big finale episode for season one of the complete works. It's the top 10 films of Nicolas Cage. And now it's time for Get in the Cage, our flagship segment in which film star Nicolas Cage sits down with a fellow actor to discuss the craft and future projects. So please join me in welcoming Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage. I think he's a genius. I mean, he keeps getting hired for some reason, and it's not because of his hair. I don't know. If I was in 70 films over 30 years and I spent each one talking at random volumes, I might accidentally win an Oscar. All right, for example, this just came in today. I've got it right here. You'd be playing a prisoner who asks if he can leave, and the warden says yes. And then I leave? Yeah, that's it. Not a very interesting story. So this is the kind of picture you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> I'm in. But I also remember you and me becoming best friends and watching every Nick Cage movie ever made. Can you still quote them all? No, I purged myself of that nonsense. I bet it's still in there. That's not. We'll see. We won't. There's a chance it's in there. Chance of zero. I'd put money that maybe it's there. You're losing your money. Okay. So, will you help me? I don't know. I want to, but keeping a secret from Holt, that's a lot of pressure. Hmm. Am I remembering correctly? Don't you eat pressure for breakfast? <gasps> Nick Cage in The Rock. We are best friends. I am so in. Our first award tonight is Best Use of a Wife Beater and Regional Accent. The nominees are Nicolas Cage, Raising Arizona. My lawless years were behind me. Our child-rearing years lay ahead. Nicolas Cage, Moonstruck. I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Nicolas Cage, Con Air. I got a present for you, Casey. And the award goes to... Nicholas Cage, 
This is my reality. This is how I learned to be. And my being doesn't allow for Nicholas freaking Cage, okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh, I'm a cat. I'm a sexy cat. The time has come for us to ride on to our next adventure. What is that? We're gonna have a three-way with a declaration of independence. <laughs> Nick Cage and Nick Cage, everyone! So we got nothing! That was brilliant. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Complete Works, an official podcast of filmbook.com. My name is Mike Smith, and joining me on this journey through a fascinating career is my good friend and film book cast co-host, Mike Decrecio. How you doing today, Mike? Uh, good. I'm excited for this potentially long and arduous task. Exactly. Now, the idea for the complete works was a simple one. We thought it would be fun exercise to go through an actor's entire filmography, film by film, breaking down each role and seeing how that actor evolved over time, as well as seeing the ups and downs of their career and how they respond to it. Now, there were a lot of actors that me and Mike consider for this exercise. The selection was based on three criteria. The actor has to be somebody that both me and Mike are big fans of. Above all, we want to be enthusiastic throughout this podcast, right, Mike? Yeah, it's always a good help. Yeah. Uh, Number two, the actor has to have a long and diverse career. Seeing an actor grow over the course of 30 years holds more weight behind it than an actor whose career is only five years in. And three, the actor had to be somebody who had great appeal to the internet, somebody (laughs) who we thought was popular enough to warrant an entire podcast devoted to their life's work. Now, with all that in mind... Mike and I decided there was only one person who could possibly be the first to get the complete works treatment. And that, my friends, is actor Nicolas Cage. That's right. This is happening. Born Nicolas Coppola, the nephew of director Francis Ford Coppola, he changed his last name to Cage to avoid charges of nepotism in Hollywood, naming himself after one of his favorite Marvel Comics characters, Luke Cage. Cage is well known for his acting style, and in particular, how wildly he can vary, not even from film to film, but sometimes from scene to scene. His over and under acting is something that has been a recurring joke for years, but I don't think it has been explored to this deep of an extent. Since making his debut in 1981, Nicolas Cage has appeared in over 70 films, and today, Mike and I are going to begin our insane, misguided journey into watching each and every one. And so, let's begin taking a look at Nicolas Cage's first on-screen appearance, 1981's Best of Times. to the complete works for the final time an in-depth look into the career and filmography of Nicolas Cage my name is Mike Smith joining me on this journey into the depths of true cagedom is my friend co-host and fellow cageaholic Mike Decrecio how you doing today Mike uh it's a bittersweet day here at, at the complete works yet again but I'm doing okay uh, yeah, I am. Uh, it, it is bittersweet. I would say. I say joining me on this journey, but really ending this journey with me. It's been four years that we've been doing this podcast. That's pretty dumb if you really think about it. Uh, <laughs> it is <but> absurd. 
But it's yeah. been a great four years, Mike. It really has. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, we kind of, back then we were doing film book casts. Um, we had, like, kind of just met, like, a year beforehand or whatever. We both finished college, and, like, as we were finishing college, like, we were both like, hey, you know what? Maybe we should do another podcast, like a second one. Yeah. On top of this podcast that we don't know if we'll be able to continue once we leave college. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just start something new and then abandon it, maybe. Yeah. Exactly, and uh, I think I had the idea to do like a complete like an actor like an actor film by film type thing, and then I pitched it to you, and I was like, "And how about we do Nicolas Cage?" And you were like, "Yeah, all right, fine." Um. <laughs> <laughs> that about actually sums up my memory of that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, if we have to, like, sure. Right. Exactly. But from best of times to between worlds, from Academy Award winning actor to video on demand superstar from subtle nuanced performances to the opposite of that uh <laughs> this is it we have finally reached the end of the road with nicholas cage uh so mike in, in the first episode of this podcast which premiered way back in june 2015 uh, i think we wow. announced i think we announced this podcast uh in our review of mad max fury road for uh <laughs> for film book cast to give people context of what was happening in the world in 2015 when the when the complete works first launched and changed everything uh, yeah. <laughs> uh in our first episode we laid out the goal of this podcast which was to break down and analyze nicholas cage's entire career film by film see how he grew and changed over time and how that reflected the state of the film industry mike it is now 90 episodes of the complete works do you feel like we have accomplished that goal i mean in like a broad sense yeah sure <laughs> I, mean, I think that's no. the way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we did though. We uh we we did it. We we covered um when did uh Best of Times come out? 1980 what? Uh 1981. 1981 to 2018. That's out of yeah. control. That is a a, a a ridiculous amount of time to cover. <laughs> <laughs> Both and of us are still... trying to do the math in our head. Yeah, it's it's still it's still bonkers that we ended up finishing this podcast i'm not sure if either one of us actually thought we would ever finish if you go back and listen to that first episode of the show that we did we were both like yeah this is gonna be a long time that we're doing this huh (laughs) yeah especially because we did look up there were some other uh nicholas cage you know podcasts covering them and none of them had made it all the way to the end they all gave up uh you know like mid-2000s ish i believe uh, right it was we were... it was something like that but although when we started there was like we didn't realize there were other cage podcasts when we started uh and then when we figured it out we there was probably like two or three other ones that were out there in the ether if you go on the like spotify or itunes now uh there's like 25 to 30 other nicholas cage podcasts wow. that have cropped up in our way we were really pioneers in the nicholas cage podcast movement mike uh, the tip of the spear if you will exactly uh so even if we haven't walked away with you know a grander sense of cage the person or the state of the film industry or whatever i think we i think we did leave with a greater understanding of cage the performer maybe we've gotten to the heart of who nicholas cage is maybe we've seen something that very few people will ever get to see or maybe this whole thing drove us insane maybe we're more insane people <laughs> because of this who's to say uh what is actually the case uh, but the important thing is this is our farewell episode. This is where we take the time to say goodbye to Nicolas Cage and close the book for now. I mean, we've talked about this in the last few episodes. Uh, this podcast is about to evolve into something completely different uh, as we choose a new actor to talk about, and we're still figuring out what that is. Uh, but 
I'm pretty confident that we'll return to Nicolas Cage at some point. Maybe you're not as confident as I am, Mike. Maybe you're trying to, <laughs> maybe you're trying to like pull the rug out from under me, being like, "No, we're never covering a Cage movie again." But you know, I, I think if we wait another few months, he'll probably have pumped out enough movies to keep us going for another couple of years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. So uh, you know, at some point, we're gonna return to Cage. You know, as bonus episodes here and there on the next podcast that we do, whatever it is. Uh, you know, because he's got some 2019 movies that have come out this past year. He's got some movies lined up for 2020 and so much beyond that. But today, we celebrate Nicolas Cage with a big blowout final episode. We are reflecting uh, upon the entire run of this podcast and Nicolas Cage's career. We're going to run down our top five worst Nicolas Cage movies. Uh, and then our top five most insane Cage moments. And then our top five performances before finally getting into our countdown of the top 10 Nicolas Cage movies ever. And I'm excited to dig into that with you, Mike. So before we get into all our list making and things like that, what what would you say you learned from this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> uh, I think I learned patience, most of all. Um, just being able to enjoy uh, you know, the present and, and, and sure. <laughs> accept something for what it is. Um, <laughs> I didn't yes. know there was going to be deep philosophical questions, Mike. I would have prepared answers for these. I mean, yeah, I don't know if they're deep philosophical questions, but, you know, I want to reflect a little bit. You know, we did just <laughs> d- devote four years of our lives to watching every movie Nicolas Cage has ever started, and you would think there'd be at least a slight bit of introspection. Like, a, a, like <laughs> why did we do this to ourselves kind of, introspe- <laughs> kind of um, introspection? I, I learned about uh, Nouveau Shamanism as an acting school, uh, which is Cage's, I think, uh, invented... <laughs> Uh, new school of acting that he uses in the present day. And I just sure. love the, the whole like philosophy behind that is just like, yeah, like whatever, whatever works in the present, like do it basically. Right. Like don't <laughs> just like go with the flow. And I think there's a lot to learn there, Mike. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've, we've really, we've grappled with cage as a performer and as a person and like his backstory and things that just go on in his life. And uh, I think that that kind of attitude uh, permeates through a lot of his movies and perhaps permeates through this podcast in some <laughs> In yeah. some sense or form. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just thinking back on just years and years of watching countless Nicolas Cage movies, you know, we had to take a hiatus for a little while when I moved to Montana. And, you know, even then, we were still like, we got to come back. We got to come back. Keep doing Cage movies. We can't gotta stop. Gotta do it. <laughs> the show it's, must it's been, go on. Yeah. It's been a nice constant to know that, like, every two weeks, I have to I have to watch another Cage movie. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, weird. it's weird to think that, like, you know, next year... You know, Letterbox always does like you know your year in review type thing, and sends you an email telling you who is the director you watch the most and who is the actor that you watch the most. And for the past four years, uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage was my most watched actor of the year. Now it's going to be somebody else. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> who it could be? It just feels very weird. And honestly, and there's a couple of those 2019 Cage movies um, that we're not covering on this podcast uh, until we get to a little bit later in our bonus episodes for whenever that goes down. Uh, but like a couple of them are available on like Amazon Prime now, and I'm like, man, I kind of want to watch them just for like for <laughs> just for the like completionist sake. Like I feel weird having not seen a Nicolas Cage movie at this point. Yeah, I like on uh, Letterboxd you can go to some like an actor or a director and like look at their f- filmography, and it shows you like percent watched, and like yeah. Nicolas Cage is gonna hang at like 94 uh, percent for so long, <laughs> so, like or whatever it's at. I forget what it's up to. It's pretty close right. to done. So you kind of just want to be like, man, I should just fucking watch Kill Chain and get it over with. Yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, but yeah, all right. So Nicolas Cage, you know, this is our big tribute to you if you are listening to this podcast, which I assume he does. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure. I like, to, I like to think Nicolas Cage listens to all of the Nicolas Cage podcasts <laughs> that are out there. <laughs> he subscribes to every Patreon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> our big tribute to Nicolas Cage. Thank you for the last four insane years of this podcast. Uh, they have driven us to the depths of madness, but also, you know, has given us new insight into uh, a lot of great stories and introduced us some, to some movies that we may not have seen otherwise, uh, which is also pretty Oh, nice. yeah. Uh, so we'll be talking about all that stuff throughout the episode. Right now, we're going to get into our top five worst Nicolas Cage movies yeah, of all time. No. You wore that shirt last year, by the way, just so you know. Many guys have come to you. The line that wasn't true. Oh. Pass them by. Pass them by. Now you're in the center ring, and their lines don't mean a thing. Why don't you let me try? Let me try. Now I don't wear a diamond ring. I don't even have a song to sing. All I know is la 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 means I love you. La 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 means I love you. All right, it's time for our top five worst Nicolas Cage movies of all time. Now, Mike, I want to lead off with this. Um, because, you know, I don't, I don't want to dwell too much on the negative. You know, I want to, you know, talk about a lot of the big stuff that we really loved in this podcast. But, you know, I, I can't not acknowledge that this podcast also drove us insane a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, and so I feel like, you know, it would be fun to talk about the five, like, the five movies that uh, were most maddening to us over the course of the last four years. Uh, I've got a few uh, honorable mentions that I'll mention. I'll, I'll do my honorable mentions after we do our whole list just because I don't want to like, step on any of your toes if you have if there's okay. any overlap, Fair. Uh, that kind of thing. And uh, disclaimer: we neither of us know what's on the other's list for any of these lists. Right. Um, by the way, so there could be some overlap. There could be a lot of overlap because I think we liked a lot of the same movies and disliked a lot of the same movies. Yeah. But you know, you have slightly different tastes than I do in some areas. So who knows? Who knows where where the lists could lie? We also didn't set up any kind of like uh, stipulation for what qualifies for what. Uh, so who know, any, anything's possible is what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So we're going to start with you, Mike. Uh, we'll go like you, then me, then you, then me, and how mm-hmm. we gen- how we generally do this list kind of format. So what's your number five worst Nicolas Cage movie of all time? So I brought that up that we never talked about stipulations about what counts because my number five pick for worst movie is Never on Tuesday, uh, <laughs> which has Nicolas Cage for 30 <laughs> seconds. How you doing? Is anybody hurt? No, everybody's fine. Did I give somebody a lift? No, man, that's all right. Uh, got everything under control. <laughs> uh, or one minute. Well, one of his best uh, cameo performances, because he did have a bunch of those. Uh, yes. Just the movie is so fucking dumb and problematic now <laughs> in the lens of yeah. 2019. Because we, re- we reviewed that, I think, in 2016. It's pretty early, or maybe 2017. Like that, I don't yeah. quite remember. It, it was um, early-ish. That was, I want to say that was like 89. So that would have been like, yeah, that was probably 2016 we reviewed that movie. Yeah. Uh, so we did, you know, we we didn't have, uh, we weren't fully formed adults yet. I'd say, even though we <laughs> graduated college by then. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
zip it, zip it, zip it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie is just bad, though. Come on. I, li- I went back and re-listened to our episode after the uh, like the meme came back of that cameo performance uh, recently. That was earlier this year, I think. Um, yes. And we both weren't too hot on it then, uh, but we really could- should have come down harder, I think, uh, than we actually did. So that's my uh, I mean, number I, five worst movie. Yeah, I, I feel like I remember on Tuesday, like, it was definitely bad. Don't get me wrong. It was not a good yeah. movie. I don't think it's, like, nearly as bad as a lot of the things that we've watched on this podcast. Uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like I remember, it like, you know, it is, like, you know, obviously problematic today. But, you know, it's, like, a mostly kind of harmless, you know, like, dumb 80s comedy. Uh, yeah, fair. From what from what I remember, like again, it's been several years since I've seen the movie, uh, and all I really remember about the movie is the Nicolas Cage scene because obviously it's the scene that we focus on the most, and it had a weird resurgence earlier this year where uh, yeah, <laughs> where the Nicolas Cage scene kind of popped up, uh, which was kind of cool to see that uh, kind of return to the surface. Uh, yeah, the Cage he keeps on going. Yeah, uh, I mean this was uh, I'll be honest, the, the five worst might have been the hardest category, um, oh, really? only because. There's so many, like, obvious choices, which I'm sure we'll get into in, in the runners-up, sure. where it's like, uh, I don't want to put that on a list. Like, yeah, we all know about that, but, you know, <laughs> you know? So all this right. was tough to narrow down five of the worst movies. That's all I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. But, yeah, Never on Tuesday, your number five worst Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, all right, my number five on the list. Also one that Nicolas Cage is barely in. Um, <laughs> Interesting. But it's not Never on Tuesday. It is uh, from 2001, uh, episode 36 of this podcast, Christmas Carol the movie. Oh my god. <laughs> Jason? I don't have much time, Ebenezer. Little has changed in these chambers since my departure. Ebenezer, I've come to warn you. Is this about the Forsyth account? I assure you, Jacob, everything is being attended to in accordance with your wishes. I, I mean, what you would have wished. What has happened to you? You're not imprisoned. Who did this? No. I did it, Ebenezer. It is my achievement. I wear the chains of my ignorance. The chains I forged in life. Link by link. Yard by yard. I am doomed. I'll be honest, I straight up forgot about that movie. <laughs> you and the rest of the world, and probably Nicolas Cage also, I would guess. Mm. Uh, yeah, Cage is in Christmas Carol the movie for about five minutes, uh, playing Jacob Marley, doing a very fun ghost voice. He's, you know, doing Ooh, <laughs> Ebenezer, that kind of thing. Uh, but the animation is really bad. You know, it's an animated Christmas Carol movie. It's like 80 minutes. Uh, the animation's rough, and it somehow takes, you know, I, I talked about this in the review, I think Christ- A Christmas Carol is a basically perfect story, that's why it's been adapted so many different times, in so many different ways, and you can tell it, you know, it's a pretty straightforward thing, and this movie somehow makes A Christmas Carol feel very rushed and incomplete, uh, it makes Scrooge directly responsible for Tiny Tim's death, <laughs> yeah. he pours like a bucket of cold water on him, which causes him to get pneumonia. <laughs> Yeah, um, which is pretty wild. It takes like a weird detour where we're just following the development of an orphanage that's going on uh, in the movie for some reason. And also, most of the story is told from the perspective of a mouse. Uh, like he's yeah. just like a mouse that's hanging around doing its mouse thing, and that's basically it. Uh, it does feature Kate Winslet though, which is another one who I'm sure barely remembers this movie existed, except for the fact that she actually sang the movie's theme song too. Uh, so oh yeah, 
that's something, I guess. But yeah, Christmas Carol the movie is uh, my number five pick for the worst Nicolas Cage movie of all time. I like it. My, uh, <laughs> my number four movie, this is an oldie but goodie, Mike. Yeah. Tell me if you remember this one. Uh, Tempo de Uccidere. That's also one known my, uh, as Time to Kill. Yeah, that is one of my honorable mentions, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> or dishonorable mentions, I guess, would be the worst stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is a, uh Italian a World War One movie, I think, or World War Two. I honestly don't even remember. Um, I, I think World War One. I. I feel like World War One. Yeah, right. I think it's World War One. Where I mean, at least the version we found uh, was clearly in Italian. Translated to English through Google Translate. I forget exactly what it was, actually. Yes. Was it English to Italian, back to English? Uh, there uh, was, was a couple some, layers with yeah, the it was, subtitles. It was very weird. It was a very difficult movie to find in the first place. Um, yes. Like, it wasn't available anywhere. You couldn't stream it anywhere. You couldn't get the disc anywhere. Uh, so it was one of the very few movies that I... Like, I don't really pirate a lot of stuff. I had to use your kind of techniques. Uh, and <laughs> Ooh, and alleged techniques. Alleged right? techniques, uh, and we had to figure we had to figure out a way to watch that movie, which we eventually did. But the version that we found, uh, yeah, I think was in English, but uh, it was dubbed into Italian. Yeah, but then it had, and then it was dubbed back into English, and then it had English subtitles. But the English subtitles were like broken English. Yeah, um, that it was very weird. It was a very, it was, a, and I mean. That that was actually one of the only enjoyable things about the movie because you can kind of like laugh at some of the broken English stuff that's like kind of taking place throughout yeah. it. Um, but yeah, not a very good movie. No, yeah, I mean, pretty terrible. Uh, I don't really quite remember anything about it. For, I mean, that's going to be the problem with a lot of these movies because uh, they're also from four years ago when we watched them. But I remember it yeah. being, I think, not particularly engaging in any way, and also featured a like brutal rape scene. I remember us being yeah. very shocked by that in this movie. Yeah, so for that reason, fuck this movie. It's, a, it's on the top five words list. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Tempo de Uccidere slash Time to Kill. The good news is, if you've never heard of it, you'll never hear of it again after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> after this podcast. There you go. Uh, all right, my number four movie is the movie that broke me on this podcast. Um, this is uh, from 2007, episode 49 of The Complete Works, and that is a blockbuster that Nicolas Cage starred in called Next. Mentalists, magicians, illusionists. You'd be shocked to know that sometimes, not often, but sometimes, it's the real deal. Masquerading as an act. Hiding behind a few $50 tricks. Hiding in plain sight. Because if the magician doesn't do that, the alternative is impossible for others to live with. Anyway, Wednesday night, the back page doesn't pay very well, so I gamble. But I don't play against other people, only against the house. So, no mega jackpots, no long shots. The idea is to go unnoticed. That way I can keep coming back. I'm not a god. I can't see everyone's future, only my own. And only within two minutes, except for when I saw her. But we'll come back to that. Oh, uh, nice. Uh, this movie, if you go back and listen to that episode, uh, which I don't know if you have in a while, Mike, if, if you go back and listen to that one, you can hear both of us, but me specifically, going insane in real time. <laughs> I do as, remember. As we try to like make sense of the ending of this movie, it's you know it's a potentially cool sci-fi setup. It's Cage; he's a magician uh, in Las Vegas, and he can see like five seconds into the future. He can figure out how to manipulate the world and the stuff that he wants to happen. Uh, and then it's completely undone by the dumbest ending 
<laughs> that maybe any movie has ever had. Uh, it's it, the back half of the movie just didn't happen, you know. And I, and I still yeah. get mad when I think about it. <laughs> like the entire back half of the movie is revealed to be just one scenario that Nicolas Cage has gone through, uh, in you know, like his weird future technique powers or whatever uh and that's i mean the rest of the movie is like dumb like you know there's a, a terrible romance with uh, nicholas cage and jessica Biel, who's like 30 years younger than him or something and yeah. it's really bad uh and you know julianne moore looks like she doesn't want to be there and all that stuff it's a really bad movie uh it's enjoyably bad i think for a while until you get to the very end and it becomes infuriating um and yes like even just talking about it now i'm like bringing up all those feelings again and i'm like man this movie like destroy like I was livid watching uh, <laughs> watching <laughs> next for the first time and seeing that ending. It it broke me. It completely broke me. I do remember you just like being totally unwound by that movie. <laughs> like just <laughs> your whole perception of reality was destroyed. <laughs> And it, it was really great. Was. Yeah. Uh, that, was, I mean, right. that is, I think, that is, I think, one of our most fun episodes of the show to listen to because it is just yeah. us getting destroyed by that movie. But yeah. Uh, all right, Mike, what's your number three pick for our top five uh, worst Nicolas Cage movies? Uh, my number three pick, continuing a trend of Italian war movies <laughs> starring Nicolas Cage, <laughs> is Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Oh, boy. That's also one of my uh, honorable mentions. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. If I do that, I'll start getting confused about when I'm supposed to come in. And that, in a concert hall, would be a disaster. Uh, yeah, this is, I believe, World War II uh, movies uh, this time. Yep. And Cage is an Italian soldier, I think. and uh, yep. Or maybe he's uh, American. I don't even remember. But he's no, like he, goes to this... No, he's, he's Italian. You can tell by his accent in the movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> Which is, you know, like he played a game of Mario and was like, Ah, oh, Baba di Boopi. It's... <laughs> <laughs> That's you know that we're, Captain Peter, just because you have a mustache doesn't make you Italian. Fippity boppity. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what Nicolas Cage did without the mustache. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and there's like a very slow, long, drawn out, like grand romance with capital G, capital R, uh, right. about Cage and this like woman in the village that whose house they're occupying or some shit. I don't even quite remember it. And uh, it's just boring and long, and who cares? That's it. That's it. Let's fuck this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I agree with you. I mean, Captain Crow's Mandolin, it's weird. It, it's, it kept itself out of my bottom five because there is, like, some nice production value to it and things like that. Fair. Like, it's, okay, a, nice yeah. looking, it's a nice looking movie. Um, but I, like, it was my, like, worst Cage movie for a long time because it's so yeah. boring. Like, it's, it's just, there's nothing to it. It takes forever. Uh, it, it really feels like, you know, it's trying to capitalize on a couple of different, like, Oscar Beatty-type movies that came out around the same time. It's like a mix of, like, Shakespeare in Love and Saving Private Ryan kind of thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just think... as, sh- as shitty as that combo sounds, this movie's yeah. worse. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Uh, and, you know, worth watching, like, YouTube clips to see Nicolas Cage's accent in the movie, because it is a delight. But uh, yes. otherwise, yeah, not not really uh, worth your time. Uh, my number three movie is uh, one that uh, I think might actually be the most boring movie that we uh, that we reviewed on this podcast. Um, Interesting. You know, uh, up until, like, up until this movie, it was Captain Crowley's Mandolin for me, who had the title <laughs> of the most boring Nicolas Cage movie. Um, but that's uh, that's when we reviewed uh, 2011's Season of the Witch, uh, <laughs> which is yes. uh, episode 58 of this podcast. And, you know, the first five minutes of this movie 
kind of awesome. It's uh, it's Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman, and they're fighting in the Crusades together, and they're like badass soldiers doing their thing. Uh, and then the rest of the movie is just this incredibly dull D and D campaign uh, with no fun. There's no fun allowed in How <laughs> dare. Season of the Witch. Uh, it's very it's very weird because it has a, like a pretty like horror premise, and then you know, Cage talked about how it paid homage to the Hammer horror movies and that kind of thing. Christopher Lee even appears in the movie briefly. Um, and Claire Foy shows up in a very early role for her as the witch. Um, but it, it kind of like shoots itself in the foot by making it be like this thing where it's like, okay, they have to escort this girl who they keep saying is a witch, but it's like unclear whether she's a witch. And it's like, oh, why are you treating this girl this way? She's just a girl and that kind of thing. And then she turns out to actually be a witch. And it's like, well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> like, all right, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so season of the witch it's it, it, it like it's not like none of it is as, is as fun as that sounds it's a very dour movie there's no like yeah. camp value to it it's just it's rough it's a rough movie for sure yeah and it's pretty funny when you said season of the witch my first actual thought was i thought mike liked sorcerer's apprentice uh but i got those mixed up <laughs> i did Good like sorcerer's apprentice. what movie it was <laughs> i did like sorcerer's apprentice with with all its um one republic songs and everything it was great yeah stay, <laughs> stay tuned potentially no i don't know uh, your number one cage movie of all time is the sorcerer's apprentice twist the sorcerer's apprentice all along yeah the true great cage movie uh all right (laughs) what's your number two worst cage movie of all time my number two worst cage movie of all time i set up a joke in my brain and then didn't do it and just laughed sorry everyone uh my number two movie of all time is trapped in paradise i know how your mind works you know exactly what you're doing. And the whole time you stand there with this who me expression on your face. Wow, Trapped in Paradise. I think, was that my uh, honorable mentions? It was not. No, it did not make my wow. own, my dishonorable mentions. But it, that is a bad movie. It is a very That's bad a, movie. <laughs> it's a very bad movie. It's a comedy starring uh, Dana Carvey and John Lovett, right? And yes. <laughs> Nick Cage. And, and Nick Cage, yep. No, imagine it. What? Nick Cage's not even in it. That's how <laughs> fucking bad it is. No. I just hate this movie so much, I had to wedge it in there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I once again don't really remember this movie. I think it's like a bank robbery comedy, right? Or like one of those kind of things. Uh, yeah, they're like three criminals who rob a bank in like a small town and cr- on like Christmas yeah. Eve or something like that, and then shenanigans ensue. Uh, Maid Can Amick from Twin Peaks is in it too. She's like, yeah, love, she's like a right. love interest for Nicolas Cage. Yeah, fuck this movie. I can't believe you remembered all that. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> It'll count as my Christmas pick. You know, it's Christmas there season you go. two weeks. It is the Christmas How season, that? yeah. And that's one of those things, I've seen people like talk about, I think one of the great things about being a Christmas movie is that no matter if you are good or bad, people will just watch you every year until yeah. like, the end of time. And so people, like I know people who watch Trapped in Paradise like every year, and I'm like, how do you do that? What? <laughs> I know, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. But yeah, Trapped in Paradise, good pick for your number two, Mike. Uh, Thank you. Now my number two is a much more recent Nicolas Cage movie from 2016, uh, and that is USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, good pick. Uh, Great choice. Yeah. <laughs> that is uh, episode 76 of this podcast. And I think this one's worse than a lot of the other ones, just because this could be a really interesting movie. Like, this this is uh, like a solid premise right there. It's a World War II movie, which I feel like has been a recurring theme on our worst uh, <laughs> list yeah, look so at that. far. <laughs> uh, it's a World War II movie with Nicolas Cage kind of leading the... Um, 
was it the Marines or the Navy or whatever. Um, and it's the true story of the USS Indianapolis who delivered the atomic bomb to Japan uh, so that the U.S. could use it. Uh, and then their ship got attacked by sharks and they went down. You may have heard this story in Jaws because Quint talks about this whole thing in Jaws. In the movie Jaws, Quint is like a survivor of the USS Indianapolis. And in Jaws, Quint tells the whole story about it and it's way more compelling in that two minutes than the entire like two-hour runtime of USS Indianapolis Mount of Courage. <laughs> <laughs> he does the whole thing right there. He really does. He like Every thematic point this movie makes in two hours, Jaws does in two minutes. And it's like, man... <laughs> Why couldn't I just been watching Jaws this entire time? <laughs> right? Uh, you know, it's just a very dull movie, and it's, you know, kind of um, just saddled with this, like, really, like, dumb kind of teen romance plot, and then, you know, the movie kind of just, st- like, stops, like, about three-quarters of the way through, and then it becomes, like, a trial movie, and it just doesn't really work. It's USS Indianapolis Meta Courage, one of the worst movies that Nicolas Cage has ever starred in. That's my number two pick. I like it. Now, to be totally honest, I'm really nervous about my number one pick. Really? Uh, for my yeah, because I might pull an audible, and I already forgot. I had to look up what the title of the movie is, and I already forgot it. That's how bad it is. <laughs> Wait, um, so you're, the the movie you hated the most for this podcast, the worst movie on this podcast, you don't remember the name of it? No. Okay. So uh, the number one movie I have written down as the number one worst movie is Zandali, but I don't feel if that. <laughs> I don't know if that like uh, doesn't feel right because that is such uh. a weird artistic movie for cage and it's so like fucking weird and uh i i kind of wanted to cross it out and write yeah. down kiss of death uh with nicholas cage and uh michael C- no what's david caruso Dave- whoa wait you're putting kiss of death as number one worst cage movie i thought you liked that movie <laughs> did i i don't remember i haven't seen I, it in forever i liked that movie i feel like that was a pretty oh, good shit. A pretty good movie <laughs> Okay, I'll leave it as Zandali. Colin, check the minutes on my opinion of Kiss of Death and let me know. Get back to me. Uh, that's I the mean, problem with this, with this uh, doing this is, like we said, we haven't seen some of these movies in four, three-plus years. Yeah, uh, that's true. And I, I don't have time to go back and watch the first 40 movies of Cage's <laughs> filmography again. I mean, you could at least go back and re-listen to the podcast. Uh, I could have done that. I did to some. There's a, there's a public record of our opinions of Cage movies oh, out there. Oh, man. I feel, now uh, I feel nervous. No, it's fine. It's fine. And honestly, Zandali is a good pick for the worst Nicholas Cage. Movie. Okay, it's, I'll pick Zandali then. From what I remember, it was a pretty bad movie. You know, erotic thriller. Nicholas Cage and Judge Reinhold, the two, yes. the two most erotic people of all time <laughs> in the history of '90s cinema. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that was actually Cage's first direct-to-video movie. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Interesting. If I recall correctly from that episode, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good pick for your number one. It does have a great okay. cage freak out towards the end, That's that's why I was like maybe I shouldn't put it on here. There's also them like having like tangoing or some shit. I remember like the big climax of them facing off over this woman is like Cage and Judge yeah. Reinhold like tangoing on a dock. Uh, oh and he, yeah, like, yeah. And he like drowns Judge Reinhold or some shit. I think I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, it's um, all coming back to me now. Also, Steve Buscemi yeah. was in that movie. 
<laughs> what the fuck? This movie's great. <laughs> this is why we had to do this episode so Mike could have a reassessment on Zandalus. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I gotta rework my top ten. <laughs> cross it off his number one worst, put it in his number one best spot. <laughs> Zandali, the true masterpiece of Nicholas Cage's right. career. <laughs> what is your number one then? Alright. <laughs> my number one worst <laughs> Nicholas Cage movie. This is a movie. You know, when we watched the movie, I'm not sure if I thought at the time that it was the worst movie Nicolas Cage has starred in, um, but it was one of the ones that upset me the most. Maybe not as much as the ending of Next. <laughs> okay. But I think it was because I was lied to going into the movie, and that is uh, a movie called Outcast from 2014. <laughs> yes! Uh, Holy shit. Episode 70 of this show, uh, which, you know, the movie is billed as Hayden Christensen and Nicolas Cage. It might even be the reverse. It might even be Nicolas Cage and Hayden Christensen, because <laughs> Nicolas Cage is the big star of the movie. Uh, Nicolas Cage doesn't show up until, like, the last 20 minutes <laughs> of the right. movie. Uh, most of it is Hayden Christensen. Uh, and in case you haven't, like, figured it out from the Star Wars prequels, Hayden Christensen, not the most compelling screen presence <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure he can be a good actor in the right situation, but like that situation hasn't come around yet. And, and you know, Nicolas Cage, to his credit, when he does show up, he's pretty bonkers. He's pretty fun. He's got snake hands. Um, yeah, which we, which has been like a recurring joke in this podcast. Like, hey, snake hands. He brought he brought his own snakes. He brought <laughs> yeah, without or, telling anybody. Yeah, he was the one who suggested, hey, I'm gonna put snakes on my hands, and they were like, all right, you're Nicolas Cage. Do what you do. Um, but, you know, he's only in, like, 15, 20 minutes of the movie, and, you know, it's it's just, everything leading up to that is so boring, and even when he is there, like, it's just, it's too little too late, essentially. Uh, it's one of, the, I think, the most boring movies we've discussed, and probably the most inconsequential of Nicolas Cage's career. It feels like something he filmed in a couple of days and then bounced, kind of, kind of yeah, thing. Which a lot sure. of the which a lot of the late period Cage movies feel like that, but this one even more so, because he literally is in, like, the end of the movie, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Outcast is my number one pick for the worst Nicolas Cage movie of all time. Uh, I think these are both good lists because they actually didn't overlap at all. We had different opinions of what the worst, the worst Cage movies are. Uh, but yeah, you, you did mention uh, Captain Trilly's Mandolin and Tempo Ijudere, uh, which I had in my honorable mentions. Uh, I also wanted to throw out my other honorable mentions, which were The Humanity Bureau uh, from 2018, uh, I think, or maybe 2017. Uh, 2.11, which was... Uh, <laughs> from 2018 also a very inconsequential movie uh and the runner from 2015 um, <laughs> wow but he did run a bunch oh he ran he <laughs> let it not be said that nicholas cage did not run in the runner mike <laughs> yeah yeah uh i didn't like write down uh, honorable mentions but my the things that i w um why this was so hard was i didn't want to put like seeking justice and stolen sure. Yeah. And like you know that that era of and you know pay the ghost even though that movie was pretty fun but like I, that I, era I, I, of I will go to bat for stolen also I like stolen <laughs> <laughs> I almost said trespass but I think uh, I also kind of like further consideration <laughs> yeah further consideration I actually think trespass is a blast <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's stupid as hell but it's a lot of fun but um, yeah which I feel like you know <laughs> these movies that we're talking about like trespass like stolen I feel like at a certain point we just kind of got like locked into a Stockholm syndrome type thing we're like <laughs> yeah. You know, a couple of years from now, we watch them without the framing of this podcast or whatever. I feel like we might have different reactions to them. <laughs> like, why are we watching this garbage? But because we're, like, trapped in this Nicolas Cage funnel for the last four years, uh, you know, we're like, hey, stolen. Pretty good. <laughs> I think I think uh, my favorite moment on the podcast, I think, was it stolen? 
that has a plot synopsis that uses the phrase seeking justice, uh, where the title <laughs> shows up in the plot, <laughs> plot synopsis of another movie. Yes. And that's my favorite thing of all time. I love <laughs> that. Was that was pretty great. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's our list of the worst Nicolas Cage movies of all time. Now, uh, before we do the best, we're going to do a couple of like Cage performance things. And first, we're going to talk about the five most insane Nicolas Cage moments. time for our top five most insane Nicolas Cage moments. And Nicolas Cage, one of our favorite performers. I think he would have to be at this point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if he wasn't when we started this podcast, he has to be by the end of it. Uh, and one of the things we love about Nicolas Cage, you know, he's able to do a lot of really interesting things as an actor. He can play really subtle, nuanced stuff. But the thing that people know him more for is that he gets insane and over the top and stuff like that when he gets into some of his roles. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of do a countdown of our top five favorite, most insane Nicolas Cage moments. I have some honorable mentions for this one as well that I'll throw in at the end. Uh, Mike, let's start with you. What's your number five most insane Cage moment or performance? Uh, my number five uh, is just overall the entire movie of Wicker Man. Uh, <laughs> it's the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I guess specifically anything with bear suit Cage. Yeah, uh, we want to highlight one thing, uh, that or the the punching of all the ladies, Every, just everything about Wicker Man. Because I feel like we've talked we talked about it in that episode. That is kind of the birth of the Cage meme, uh, per, you know, the the yeah. as we know him today, um, kind of thing. And I think it deserves some more recognition, Mike. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, the not the bees scene is iconic and not even in the movie. That's how iconic that scene is. You know, it's, it's yeah. that's, that's a scene that was in the director's cut of The Wicker Man. It wasn't even in the theatrical cut, and it caught on on the internet, and people ended up, uh, you know, doing the not the bees memes and things like that, and it became the thing that Cage was known for for a long time. Just that kind of insane, over the top stuff, and The Wicker Man was uh, right there for it, the perfect the internet. Yeah. So yeah, good choice. And- and we duped ourselves by being like, no, let's watch the theatrical version, which it's not even in there. We're <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, I know. We didn't realize it. So we had to go watch the Not the Beast scene like, afterwards just to refresh our memory. Yeah. Not that it's not already burned into our mind like so many bees. Um, <laughs> in my eyes. It's in my eyes. Exactly. They're in my eyes. His eyes are closed when he's saying that. But the bees are in his <laughs> yeah. eyes. Well, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees. Not the bees. My number five most insane Nicolas Cage moment is the first 15, 20 minutes of Face Off. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, which, you know, if you haven't seen Face Off, a 
go watch Face Off. It's amazing. Uh, and B, you know, what I love about Face Off is that, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes, Cage gets to play the bad guy, and then the rest of the movie, he's the good guy. But in that first 15 minutes or whatever, when he's the bad guy, he's incredible. <laughs> I mean, that's, Cage, you know, Cage going in the choir, he's grabbing, like, underage girls, and he's shouting, and he's making weird faces, and he's doing, like, his weird head dance, and he's jumping around, and, you know, going from there, he's dancing, and he's double-wielding golden pistols as he walks out of the car with his cape flowing in the wind, and there's the, the line, I could eat a peach for hours, and all that stuff. <laughs> it's amazing. The first 15, 20 minutes of Face Off, he's great in the rest of Face Off. There's a lot of insane stuff there, too. I was considering the moment where he wakes up and his face is gone, and he and he's, like, smoking yeah. a cigarette, and he's telling the doctor to put another face on him. I was thinking about that, too. But the first 15, 20 minutes is just pure unbridled cage insanity uh and so i had to go with uh that part that, those parts of face off that's fair uh all right mike what's your number four pick for uh, your most insane cage moment uh my number four pick uh is another one that's just the entire movie now as i'm thinking as i'm speaking i'm realizing this is less specifically cage okay but more the entire movie of left behind just the whole <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie because cage is the yes. straight guy in this movie but yes. the whole fucking movie is so insane, <laughs> and I loved it. It was so much fucking fun in oh, the yeah. worst way. Uh, it really was. Yeah, I, I remember watching, like, I actually almost put that on my top five, too, but I, I took it off because, you know, Cage is really the straight guy in it, and I want to yeah. be Cage-specific, but that's, I'm glad you brought it up, because that was a great pick. <laughs> that movie's fucking nuts. It's so crazy. <laughs> that like every like even without all the left behind stuff just the way characters interact with each other it's like no human has ever spoken to another human in this movie <laughs> yeah i remember the um the scene where the kid's like oh they're having like a 60 percent off sale at or a 90 percent off sale at gamestop let's go and i was like gamestop yeah. will never have a 90 percent off sale what are you doing kid what like 80 year old wrote this script <laughs> yeah the daughter is almost hit by a plane multiple times <laughs> like yes. when they crash it's so she, good like, dodges out of the way of a plane and then has to dodge a bus or something like that like yeah it's, it's nuts uh so yeah left behind great choice i'm very glad that it made your list <laughs> yeah if i if i take anything away from this four years it's left behind that i'm gonna exactly. remember yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a movie that, that i would like to like you know just put on like when you have a bunch of friends over and you're drinking or something like that and just like guys we should watch Left Behind. And they're like, no, we don't want to watch Left Behind. That's some like lame Jesus movie or whatever. And you're like, no, guys, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> this movie's nuts. Uh, yes. All right. Now for my number four pick uh, for the most insane Nicolas Cage moments. I'm not sure if this is the most insane, but it's one that I like a lot. It's, it's probably because it's kind of couched within a pretty family-friendly Cage movie. Uh, and that is his big freakout in England in National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, then fine. That's what you want. Then let's have it out right now. Ah, so subtle. Oh, let me guess. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong place. I'm wrong again. Wrong about us. Wrong about Thomas Gates. Wrong that you'd like the Queen Anne chair. You're wrong to assume I'd like the chair. You see? You see, everybody, listen to this. This is more interesting than that. She thinks that even when I'm right, I'm wrong. Isn't that right? Abigail, just because I answer a question quickly doesn't make it wrong. Not if the right answer is something we need to figure out together. As a couple, that's what couples do. Sure. Then you and your missus take it outside. Oh, now look what you've done. You brought the little bobbies down on us. You take the missus outside. I'm staying right here. Ben, whee! Good afternoon, sir. Hello. 
Been drinking, have we? Just a nip. Just pop down to the pub for a pint. Bit of all right. Going to arrest the man for that. Going to detain a blighter for enjoying his whiskey. It's all right, that's enough, sir. Beggars and mash. Sir? Bubbles and squeak. What? Smoke the old pie. Sir? Haggers! That's it! Dismount the banister. I've got a lovely oh, bunch of coconuts. Here they are, standing in a row. Small one, big one, some as big as your head! That was brilliant. Uh, where he gets into kind of a, f a fake fight with Diane Kruger and he's like shouting at her and she's shouting back and then he like slides down the banister and he's like yelling at the uh, yelling at the um, the guards and he's like, back as a mesh! Haggis! Like that, you know, <laughs> great Cage stuff right there. So yeah, I mean he's pretty like, you know, he's fun action hero Cage in the National Treasure movies and he doesn't go too crazy in those movies. Uh, except for the plots of those movies are insane so they, they fit the typical <laughs> Nick Cage mold. Um, but that, that freak out in National Treasure 2 is one that I just remember like, like really loving this time around when I got to watch it for the podcast. Uh, my number three is the, also the entire movie of Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess to highlight the, you know, the obvious choice is the, the alphabet scene where he like derangely yells, uh, the entire alphabet uh, sure. at his secretary, uh, <laughs> r running through the running through the streets of New York saying, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, <laughs> being chased around while he's covered in blood and shit. Yep. Um, yeah, Vampire's Kiss is a fucking crazy movie, and I forget what magazine, there was a whole article recently, like last year maybe, last winter? Oh, really? I think, uh, yeah, like an interview with the screenwriter about making that movie. It was the same guy that wrote, oh, shit, it's a Scorsese movie. Oh, man, I forget. I want to say Mean Streets, but I don't think it's Mean Streets. I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know? Okay, that's fine. Uh, I thought you yeah, would know I, with your... I, I, I feel like I, if I looked it up, I would see it and I would remember it. I, that, sounds, that sounds familiar, like the writer doing a Scorsese movie, but like, it's been forever since I've watched Vampire's Kiss, and it's been forever since I've listened to that episode, so I don't remember. I, yeah. I, I'm sure we brought it up when we talked about it in the, in the episode. I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the, the gist is it was the screenwriter, his first big movie that he wrote was a Scorsese movie, and he followed it up with Vampire's Kiss, and uh, and like how it was just absolutely bonkers, and, and Cage was like, everyone told him not to do it, like his agent and his everybody, and he was like, fuck you, I want to do this movie, and like he like seriously, I think he even still now considers it like one of his f big biggest best performances. Right. Uh, yeah. So I find that article. It was within the last year or so, um, and it was really crazy and wild about <laughs> like all the behind the scenes stuff, uh, and how Cage insisted on actually eating the cockroaches that they got for him to right. eat and stuff. Like, uh, yeah, so that's that's Vampire's Kiss. That's my number three pick. Uh, that's, I feel like it's a hot take to put it that low on my uh, crazy performances list, but number th <laughs> it's number three. I think you're right. It is kind of a bit of a hot take. I'm looking up the uh, the writer right now. Joseph Minion is the writer. Oh, he wrote After Hours, which makes so much After sense. After Hours. That makes so that much sense, it. actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, A, After Hours, perfect movie also. Um, and Vampire's Kiss, <laughs> also perfect movie. Uh, wow, spicy. <laughs> spicy. I, lo I love Vampire's Kiss. Genuinely, like... <laughs> Didn't make my top ten for best cage movies. It is in my honorable mentions. I love that movie. <laughs> nice, uh, but yeah, Vampire's Kiss, great choice, uh, and I, and a pretty a fairly obvious one. But it's also it might pop up my list a little bit later too. So no, we'll see. That. We'll see. Uh, my number three pick is actually a tie. I'm cheating this time, Mike. Um, oh yeah, I'm cheating a little bit. It's a tie um, because they're two different sex scenes in Nicolas Cage's career. <laughs> And oh, yeah. based on our previous episode, you can probably guess which two those are. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a tie between the sex scene in Drive Angry, in which Nicolas Cage 
uh, is having sex while in the middle of a gunfight, also chugging whiskey and chomping on a big cigar. It's incredible. Uh, never stops having sex the entire time. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Why did you fuck naked? Oh. I never just rode before a gunfight. Oh, yeah. And then the sex scene in Between Worlds, which we just reviewed on the podcast last week, uh, in which Nicolas Cage picks up a book called Memories by Nicolas Cage <laughs> and, and starts reading out of it. Uh, both of these scenes are fucking insane for different reasons, you know. <laughs> one's, one is much more elaborate than the other, and one's just in a pretty incredible fourth wall break. Uh, but they're both insane and incredible, and I remember I, I sat in the theater watching Drive Angry. It was me and my two friends. We were there, and, like, we were the only ones in the theater, uh, and we fucking were going nuts during the Drive Angry sex scene. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, and then the Between Worlds sex scene, I was able to replicate that experience uh, by myself at home watching it on my t- <laughs> watching it on my TV. Uh, just it's it, they're both absolutely insane and both need to be seen to be believed. They're incredible. Uh, so yeah, the drive angry sex scene and the between worlds sex scene. Uh, one of many sex scenes in between worlds, but that's like the main one that I wanted to focus on. <laughs> uh, Amazing. Yes, yeah, so those are they're both a tie for my number three spot right there. I love it. Uh, my number two spot is also a cheat, uh, potentially because. I'd, we didn't ever time uh, Cage's t- presence on screen, but this might be his shortest, potentially, because okay. this is his role in the fake trailer in Grindhouse as Fu Manchu <laughs> in the trailer for Werewolf <laughs> Woman of the SS. And Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. This is my baton! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there we go. I was uh, I was actually thinking to myself like, I wonder if that would get, get like. So I didn't put it on my, any of my stuff, um, but that's a good choice because we didn't do like a full review of that episode uh, of that movie because no. like you know it's literally like thirty seconds of a fake trailer as part of a different movie. Yeah, but we kind of tacked on like a ten minute discussion of it at the end of our Ghost Rider episode or something like that, right? Right. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I wanted to bring it up just to, uh, you know, kind of try to use these lists uh, like my worst list. I like, you know, go for the little less obvious things, try and highlight some stuff that we uh, covered over the four years. And I can't believe this is a thing, first off, (laughs) (laughs) that he's in a fake trailer in the Grindhouse movie. Um, And I think one of them, the Eli Roth one, is supposed to become a movie like the Thanksgiving one, I think, or something. I mean, that that was the rumor years ago. I doubt that I'll actually have it. At this point, I feel like the ship has probably sailed on fake Grindhouse movies. Um, (laughs) Imagine. I I feel like it'd be crazy if they just decided like now to do an adaptation of Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, Um, or don't or or something. Yeah, whatever it was. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Shudder will do it. I mean, if anybody would, it would be Shudder. uh... It'd be Shudder, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah, That's a great choice. There you go. Uh, There's not really much to say, because like we said, it's a couple seconds in this fake trailer. But he's in it, and that's all that matters. Yeah, and the trailer itself is pretty insane as well, so there is that. Yeah. Uh, All right, my number two is uh, one that you already mentioned, Mike, and it is pretty much all of Vampire's Kiss. Uh, Nice. (laughs) But especially the ABC scene, which is one of the most iconic cage-free guys of all time. Sometimes somebody puts a document in the wrong file, and then it's misfiled. It makes it much harder to find. Who? Who? What do you mean, who? I don't know who exactly. You don't? No, I don't. Whoever filed it in the first place, but for God's sakes, Peter, I am not telling you one single thing you don't already know. How could somebody misfile something? What could be easier? It's all alphabetical. You just put it in the right file, according to alphabetical order. 
You A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z. Huh? That's all you have to do. Very good. You know your alphabet. I never misspelled anything. Not once. Not one time. I'm sure that you didn't. Uh, it's one of the first ones that I think I ever actually saw. Um, or, or like, like I knew who Nicolas Cage was, and I had watched like growing up. I watched National Treasure and that kind of thing. And then by the time I was in high school, I had a friend who like was also really into movies, and he was the one who told me about Vampire's Kiss in the first place. And he's like, "Yo, this is a crazy wow. Nicolas Cage performance. You got to watch this." And he and he showed me a video of Cage doing the ABCs, and I was like, "Whoa, I have to see this movie." <laughs> uh, this is so bad. I have to watch it twice. <laughs> uh, but it's incredible because he goes through every range of emotion in the span of that ABC countdown. <laughs> yeah. You know, the entire time he's doing ABC, it's like, it's a different inflection for every single letter. And every letter is like a different emotion that he's bringing to it. Uh, and it's, it's just one of the great acting moments in Nicolas Cage's career. I, I think people will think I'm joking about that. I genuinely think it's brilliant. <laughs> it's so uh, Yeah. Uh, and you know out of context it's silly and ridiculous and in context it's also silly and ridiculous but it fits with the narrative of the movie overall uh, so yeah that's my number two is Vampire's Kiss uh, especially the ABC scene is what I'm saying with that one uh, and then I'm guessing that we have the same number one it's my I think <laughs> so now I, I'm, I'm thinking about I'm looking at mine and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking <laughs> he, he hasn't mentioned this one yet and there's no way this isn't on his list <laughs> So uh, let me know, Mike, what was your number one movie, uh, or number one most insane Nicolas Cage moment slash performance? Uh, my number one insane sla- performance, craziest moment, uh, is really the whole movie, but actually it's only the first 45 minutes, but actually it's only one scene where Nicolas Cage yells Sam fucking Peckinpah in Deadfall. <laughs> uh, yeah, Deadfall, that's also my number one, man. Just <laughs> yeah. fucking Deadfall. It is... The craziest Nicolas Cage has ever been. I mean, and, ever. you know, he tried to recapture that a little bit with Arsenal, right? He, he was playing the same character right. in Arsenal, which came out a couple of years ago. Uh, and he kind of caught a little bit of that spark. There's some fun scenes in that movie, which is an overall pretty terrible movie. Uh, good contender for worst Nicolas Cage movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that might have actually been the movie I was trying to try to remember uh, when I came up with uh, <laughs> Right to Whatever It Was. Right to Kill? What, yeah. what the fuck? I can't even remember that movie. Time to kill um, Tempo Dujere? Oh, Kiss no, of Death. The one, Kiss of Death. Kiss of Death. About. That one. There we go. <laughs> but I actually meant Arsenal. Man, okay, okay hold on. <laughs> See, that's the problem. Anyway, Deadfall. That's, that's the problem with a lot of Nicolas Cage movies. They all have pretty similar titles, and they're all kind of about the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, even us, who, uh, who are Nicolas Cage experts at this point, we still get mixed up some, from time to time. Yes, correct. Uh, but yeah, Deadfall. But not about Deadfall. We'll never Deadfall. get wrong about Deadfall. Deadfall is so singularly insane. It's directed by his brother, Christopher Coppola, and he kind of just let Cage do his thing, go nuts, got a stupid wig, big nose, sunglasses, indoors all the time. <laughs> all the time, yeah. All the time. Uh, who's the star? It's Michael Bean in this, in, in, in Michael Bean, this yeah. movie. It's Michael Bean. Peter Fonda, I want to say, is in this movie, too. Uh Charlie Sheen shows up for a bit as like the yeah. fucking devil or something, or it's a, he's <laughs> this pool, pool hall devil guy. He's the pool hall devil man who is like in a <laughs> like a pinstripe red suit with a fingerless glove and all that stuff. There's a guy with a lobster claw and it's barely addressed. <laughs> is that a, Peter? Who is that that plays? No, the Pe- lobster it's not, claw. that's not Peter. F- I don't think Peter Fonda's lobster claw guy. I think he's somebody else. I think he might be oh. Michael Bean's dad or something in the movie. 
uh, or uh, their maybe. boss or whatever. But uh, or no, Michael Bean's dad dies in the movie, and so he goes to work for his dad's brother, who I think is Peter Fonda, um, <laughs> also known as Lobster Claw Man. Lobster Claw Man was a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, am, I don't know big if true almost, we'll find uh, i am almost positive but uh anyway no because i feel like lobster claw guy was was somebody no lobster claw guy was angus scrim angus scrim was lobster claw man okay <laughs> i don't know who that is <laughs> uh, i'm the, in love with everything about this that's all that matters <laughs> the the important thing is dead falls fucking nuts and cage <laughs> what, what, what are you looking up <laughs> i'm just laughing at how crazy dead fall is <laughs> Like, even just <laughs> talking about, like, yeah, it seems weird. Like, we haven't watched this movie in, like, three years, probably. Yeah. Uh, and, like, we're trying to remember details about it, and we're both like, that can't possibly be what happened to Deadfall, right? And, like, nope, that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, but it's it's Cage at his most insane. It's just one of the weirdest performances he's done in his career. Are you telling me that was his fucking money? <laughs> Somebody's after your job, boy. <laughs> I bet he even stole your woman. <laughs> Get out! Yeah. I got it. I got it. I can't look at that. dies uh by a fryer he gets dumped into a, <laughs> into a deep fryer and that's how yeah. he dies that's how he goes uh and then the movie goes on for like 35 minutes after that uh and it's like why is this movie still happening without this insane nicholas cage performance <laughs> yeah so you're right it's not it's not him it's not peter fonda okay but i don't i don't know who it is is it james coburn james coburn was in this movie james coburn was in deadfall <laughs> <laughs> on the poster his name's on the poster why are so many people in deadfall <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> we need to wait. Pause. We need to watch Deadfall again. <laughs> we'll come back to this episode. Take a quick break. Go watch Deadfall. <laughs> if there was any movie we should have rewatched before this episode, it was Deadfall. It was Deadfall. I, yeah. I, I was thinking about rewatching it before we reviewed Arsenal, actually, just to kind of like compare and contrast. Ooh. But uh, it just never. I never got around to it. But now, now I feel like when we watched Deadfall, I think I described it as like it was kind of it, like it wasn't good. But it was like, you know, I was like morbidly curious to find out like what happened. And now like, looking back on it, I'm like, that movie's fucking nuts. And I kind of want to watch it all the time. Uh- <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think I remember our reaction being that after Cage gets deep fried, it kind of like stopped and was dumb. Uh, but right. while he was in it, it was great. Well, great. Yes, air but the, the thing is, after Cage gets deep fried, that's when Charlie Sheen shows up. And that's when uh, Lobster Claw Man shows up. <laughs> yeah, whoever that might be, we'll never know. <laughs> So there is cool, there is like weird, crazy shit going on even after Cage dies. But Cage really is like the lifeblood of this movie, uh, and it's and it really is like why is this movie still going on now that Nicolas Cage is not in the movie anymore? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's cool. We both picked the same number one for most insane Nicolas Cage performance and moments and all that stuff. If you haven't seen Deadfall, watch it. It's amazing. Uh, all right, and I think that wraps up that section of the show, Mike. We're about halfway done now. Now we got to move on into our top five. Oh, actually, I have to. Uh, I had a couple of honorable mentions I wanted to get get out there before we uh, move on. Sure. Uh, so real quick, just a few. Uh, the scene in Matchstick Men where he shouts at a guy online and says, "Have you ever been beaten on the side of the road until you've pissed blood?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Classic. Uh, the snake hands from Outcast. I threw that in there as the honorable mention. 
the scene in Ghost Rider 2 when he pisses fire. Um, <laughs> and also the scene in Ghost Rider 2 where he's yelling, You scraping at the door? Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, the scene in Honeymoon in Vegas where he's stuck in line at the airport behind Ben Stein. Um, do you remember, oh, yeah. Do you remember that? And he's like just shouting at him. It's like, What are you going to do? Send me to airport jail? Which is a thing now, but it wasn't in 1992. Uh, How about that? <laughs> and I did mention the Not the Beach from The Wicker Man, and also the scene in Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans um, when he interrogates the old lady, uh, yes. which is one of my favorite scenes in any of these movies. Uh, and it actually like it really killed me not putting it on like, the top five. I was like, kind of just barely not there. And honestly, there's a lot of Bad Lieutenant scenes that could have made the cut there, too. <laughs> I was going to say, what about the like tap dancing on his grave or whatever scene when he's also all great. coked out? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but all right, that's my, those are uh, those are my honorable mentions. Now let's move on into our top five best Nicolas Cage performances. Time to get into our top five Nicolas Cage performances of all time. Uh, and once again, I've got some honorable mentions I'll throw in there at the end, but I don't want to, you know, steal any of Mike's thunder uh, before we kick off the list. So, Mike, what's your number five best Nicolas Cage performance? Uh, my number five best Nicolas Cage performance is check out Mike's Instagram for a recent picture of him as H.I. McDonough from uh, Raising Arizona. <laughs> The Cohen Brothers uh, yes. joint. That night I had a dream. I drifted off thinking about happiness, birth, and new life. But now I was haunted by a vision of... Oh, he was horrible. A lone biker of the apocalypse. A man with all the powers of hell at his command. He could turn the day into night and laid the waste to everything in his path. He was especially hard on the little things, the helpless and the gentle creatures. He left a scorched earth in his wake, befouled on even the sweet desert breeze that whipped across his brow. Right, it's H.I. is the name? H.I. H.I. McDonough. Some, some characters call him High, but it's H.I. McDonough. <laughs> Man, I love the Coen Brothers movies. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I ever noticed that. They call him, they call him High. Yeah, we gotta um, get that High. Um, yeah, just like that, that good, good early, you know, first first third of his career. Uh Leading man, like dunce, doofy, uh, southern hot stuff. Leading, like yeah. I don't know. It's just like a great mix of everything about Nicolas Cage and when he was the the, the prime uh, character actor of our age at that time. Uh, <laughs> and it's just the hair and the mustache and the open Hawaiian shirt. It's fucking great. And he steals a baby. <laughs> he does. That is part of the movie. Uh, the yes. whole movie. I love I love Nicolas Cage. H. John McDonough. That might pop up a little bit later down on my list. 
Uh, and yeah, I did go as a HI for uh, for Halloween this year, and it was one of my, one of my better Halloween costumes, I would say. I put a little bit of effort into it, in the fact that I, like I shaved my beard, uh, which was yeah, <laughs> you know, a big. You had a great stash. I did, thank you, and it grew back very fast, so it was fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, my number five best Nicolas Cage performance of all time, uh, going with my boy David Lynch, Sailor Ripley in Wild at Heart. Hey, baby. Oh, wow. Baby, I got a surprise for you. Hey, my snakeskin jacket. Thanks, baby. Did I ever tell you that this here jacket represents a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom? About 50,000 times. I got us a room at the Cape Fear. And guess what? Powerman's playing at the Hurricane. Stabbing and steer. One of my favorite, like that's a movie that um, I had not seen before we started this podcast. Uh, so one of my favorite discoveries of the show was uh, Wild at Heart. Uh, amazing chemistry with Laura Dern um, in this movie, um, who is also excellent. Uh, and Cage just fits right in with just an over the top David Lynch kind of world. Uh, like, can you imagine if Nicholas Cage showed up in Twin Peaks: The Return? Uh, if like <laughs> with the like, jacket, yeah, with, just as his character from Wild. At Heart. <laughs> oh, that would have been the coolest shit ever. <laughs> that would have been amazing. And it's and, and also this is one movie where he really channels Elvis Presley, uh, who is one of Nicolas Cage's heroes. He kind of does that in a couple of other movies, too. Uh, he pops up in a few of his movies, notably in Honeymoon in Vegas, uh, which, you know, has all the Elvises kind of dive-bombing out of the uh, out of the sky <laughs> and stuff like that. Wait, uh, that's going on my top five craziest moments. <laughs> <laughs> we got to backtrack. we got to do it all again. Uh, and plus, you know, he married Elvis' daughter in real life, so there was that, too. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, and also don't forget, Nicolas Cage um, suggested the snakeskin jacket himself. He uh, he actually said like to David Lynch, "Hey, can my character wear a snakeskin jacket?" And David Lynch was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> so he wrote it. I think he script. just l- likes wearing snakes. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> Imagine if he was wearing the snakeskin jacket with the snakes on his hand from Outcast. He'd be invincible. My God, <laughs> He'd be the most powerful creature on earth. <laughs> the world can't handle that many snakes on Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's uh, my number five pick, Sailor Ripley and Wild at Heart. Mike, what's your number four Cage performance of all time? Uh, my number four Cage performance of all time is Sailor Ripley from Wild at Heart. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you had that whole conversation about it because this is the one I mentioned in between that uh, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit because I didn't get a chance to rewatch Wild at Heart. Uh, and this is the one that I definitely would have, like, if I wanted to the most. Yeah. Uh, because it's been a long time and I remember it being really good, but I don't have a whole lot to say about it because it's been a long time. Um, but yeah, just that weird fucking cage. I remember the Elvis impression he's doing. I remember, uh, the scene where like they pull off on the side of the road and just like start like moshing to punk music and he like (laughs) backflips into the car and like, they're just like doing all this crazy shit. And yeah, it's just like a a crime, like I think it's a crime movie, right? Yeah, it's like a crime, dark comedy, kind of like weird yeah. David Lynch in surrealist stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's all that good shit. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't watched it in a while either. I bought the Blu-ray. Um, Shout Factory put it out not too long ago, like maybe a year or two ago. Uh, I actually have oh, two. No. I have two copies of the Shout Factory while the Heart Blu-ray. <laughs> um, hey. Which, yeah, if you want, one. like, it was weird. I bought it. <laughs> And then, like, a week after I received it, they sent me an email saying, there was something wrong with your Blu-ray, we're sending you a new one. And I was like, I haven't even opened my Blu-ray to find out what was wrong with it, but now I have two. Uh, Sweet. <laughs> hey, I know a person that is your friend that doesn't have any, so hey, <laughs> let me know. I'll send yeah. you his deets. Yeah, give me his info. 
Uh, all right, let's move on to my number four. Best Nicolas Cage performance right here. Uh, and I'm going with Roy Waller in Matchstick Men. Look, Doc, I spent last Tuesday watching fibers on my carpet. And the whole time I was watching my carpet, I was worrying that I, I might vomit. And the whole time I was thinking, I'm a grown man. I should know what goes on in my head. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I should just blow my brains out and end it all. But then I thought, when I, well, if I thought more about blowing my brains out, I started worrying about what that was going to do to my goddamn carpet, okay? So <laughs> that was a good day, Doc, and, and I just want you to give me some pills and let me get on with my life. Oh, wow. Yes. Did you forget this one? Is this one that you forgot? No, I'm a big fan of Matchstick Men, but I didn't know it would make your top uh, top, top oh, list yeah. there. That's awesome. I mean, I, I liked Matchstick Men, the movie, a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I think Cage's performance is the best thing about it. And this is a role that asks a lot of Nicolas Cage. You know, he has to play the cool con man, right? But he also has to play the insecure OCD tendencies that are going on throughout the movie. Uh, like there's a lot of, like, ticks that he has to hit that might seem from other actors like they're overdoing it. But I think Cage manages to find the right balance there. And I think he does a really interesting thing where those ticks just fade away as soon as he's on the job and in the con and that kind of thing. Like, he's in his elements, uh, which is really cool. And all the while, developing like, a really strong relationship with the girl that he thinks is his daughter. Uh, ooh. <laughs> ooh, not to spoil anything in Matchstick Men, but that's the entire <laughs> twist. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that got me so good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Roy Waller, Matchstick Men. Really good performance from Nicolas Cage, and that's my number four pick. I like it. Uh, my number three pick is Nicolas Cage mm. as Caster Troy from Face Off. Nice. Now, Caster Troy or Caster Troy slash Sean Archer in Face Off. <laughs> uh, wow, okay. I guess first, first it's Caster Troy, because you mentioned the, those first 15 minutes are just like, mwah, they're so good, yeah. uh, especially that choir scene. <laughs> it's just like it's like looking to the Lord while grabbing this choir girl's ass, and it's just yep. the silliest fucking thing of all time. It's nuts. Um, it's bananas. Yeah. And the whole, the whole prison plot line with like the magnetic shoes, like what even is this movie? Yeah. Um, yeah. This is great. And it's just, it's, it's peak... The, the finale to the We Made It Ma trilogy, you know, you got to show some sure. love. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You got to show some love to the We Made It Ma trilogy, one of the great cinematic trilogies of all time. Uh, <laughs> for those who don't listen to this podcast regularly and are just jumping in now, uh, the We Made It Ma trilogy is the Rock, Con, Air, and Face Off, the three action movies that Cage made in a row in the 90s, uh, and they are fantastic. Great great choice for Face Off, and a great kind of like, that is Cage kind of stretching his muscles a little bit, because he's also, he's not just doing Nicolas Cage, he's also doing Travolta. Uh, which is right. pretty incredible to watch. Uh, and Travolta is also doing Nicolas Cage, and you know he's also doing an incredible job too. Face Off just so good; it's an incredible movie. <laughs> I just I love the story, the behind the scenes thing we talked about. I think in the episode where like Cage and Travolta like locked themselves in a cabin and just like stared at each other right. <laughs> to figure out everybody like their mannerisms. Yeah, they like studied each other for a week or something like that, and, like just isolated alone. It's it's nuts. So yeah, yeah. Face Face Off is a great choice uh, for your number three best Cage performance. Uh, and my number three is one that you've already mentioned, Mike. It is H. I. McDonough in Raising Arizona. Um, nice. Which, yeah, I, uh, no surprise there. I'm a huge, huge, huge Raising Arizona fan. Uh, and I don't see Nicolas Cage in this movie. Uh, like, he, he fully embodies H.I. McDonough to me. Like, the regional dialect is just right. The long narrative passages that he has in the movie are incredible. The physical comedy that he has on display is just nuts. Like, I, I think this is Cage at, at his funniest. Like, it's, it's his funniest performance. Uh, and he really disappears into the character in a way that, like, you know, I, I think Nicolas Cage is a phenomenal actor. Um, but very rarely do I feel like Cage, like, just disappears into a character. Like, I feel like I'm always aware that I'm watching Nicolas Cage, generally. Right. Uh, but A. John McDonough is one character where I'm like, 
that's not Cage. That's H.I. McDonough. That's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's he's just so good at embodying that role and like, creating that character. It's so much fun to watch. Uh, plus, Raising Arizona is a movie that I've been watching pretty much nonstop since I was 10. So I'm a little biased, but still. H.I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, McDonough and Raising Arizona, my number three at Nicolas Cage performance. Uh, all right, Mike, what's your number two? My number two pick uh, is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, okay. You know, maybe it's not the best Nicolas Cage per se. Interesting. You know, might not be good, quote-unquote, with, <laughs> you know. But that is Nicolas Cage as Edward Malice in Wicker Man. Whoa! <laughs> this hers? Tell me! I, yes, I, I think it's, yeah. How to get burned? How to get burned? I, How to get burned? How to get burned? I don't know! Boom, <laughs> twist. Never saw that coming. Did not, not in a million years, that I think you would pick your number two best Nicolas Cage performance uh, as the Wicker Man. But I, I am very curious to hear where this comes from. <laughs> okay, so it might be coming from when I wrote down, uh, you know, we the categories we were going to be doing. I wrote top five favorite performances rather than best performances. However, okay. I'll make the case that this is number two because it is like the birth of the meme. Uh, I think, like I mentioned it in the crate, it's definitely one of the most insane uh things but cage like kind of commits to that insanity in a way that is like impressive i think in a lot of his movies uh we kind of talk about you know his willingness to just go for it and do the insane thing that whatever he wants to do and um yeah i don't know i just feel like number you know putting it it deserves to be on the like top five performances not best movies performances uh like his his commitment to this bit and the you know we're here probably because of Wicker Man. We wouldn't we wouldn't have these past four years if it wasn't for that movie. So I want it on the list. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. I think you made the case for it. I, I mean, I think he's fine in the Wicker Man. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> no, he's good. He's good. I mean, and there are moments. You where, know, there there are moments where he is like really diving into like the weird pulpy shit in that movie, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and there is some great ca- classic Cage like over the topness with the not the bees scene yeah. with the how to get burned and. All that stuff. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, it wouldn't come anywhere close to my top five cage performances, but I'm very, uh, like, I'm kind of ecstatic that it made yours. Uh, just <laughs> I'm glad, uh, Mike. Yeah, all right. So that's uh, Edward Ballas in The Wicked Man. I wouldn't even remember the character's name if you hadn't I had to look it up. I'll be totally yeah. honest. Not I just sure. looked it up right now. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I'm going to my number two, which is, um, if, if The Wicker Man was the birth of Cage on the internet, I feel like my number two is sort of the natural evolution of Nicholas Cage. Yes! Yes, it happened! You, you did it! The, the absolute madman. <laughs> the final episode, I finally used your catchphrase. Uh, yes. Uh, this, this to me, like, you know, last year when Nicholas Cage, like, it felt like you couldn't escape Nicholas Cage on the internet last year. Uh, in the same way that, like, this past year, everybody's talking about Keanu Reeves because of, like, John Wick and all these different things that he was in. Last year... There was one performance that Nicolas Cage had that dwarfed most other performances in 2018 and kind of reminded people, Nicolas Cage is not just like an internet meme. He's a great fucking actor. And that is uh, the performance of Red Miller in Mandy. What's your favorite planet? Jupiter. Yeah, no doubt. Jupiter. Okay. Because the surface of his atmosphere is a storm that's been raging for like a thousand years. And the eye of the hurricane is so huge that it could just swallow the whole earth. Yeah, that's what 
world. Mm. That's yours. first ones that we discovered, that humans discovered, so there's like a lot of cool ancient myths about it and stuff. That changed my mind. What? I like Galactus. Galactus isn't a planet. Yeah, but it eats planets. It's the ultimate Nicolas Cage performance. Uh, you know, it distills his entire career into one being. He plays tenderness. He plays rage. He plays grief. Uh, he does action. He has comedic moments. And, and it did single-handedly bring Cage back into the cultural conversation in a way that, like, you know, I, I feel like around 2013 he made Joe, right? And Joe was a very good movie right. that he gave a very good performance in. Um, and, you know, it was pretty respected in film circles and things like that, but it didn't really, like, catch on like Mandy did, I feel like. I feel like Mandy we're still talking about it today, you know? <laughs> like, people yeah. are still discovering yeah, are. Mandy on, like, Shudder and things like that and all that stuff. And it's only been a year since Mandy came out, sure, but I feel like it's one of those things that, like, people are going to keep discovering because it's just such a weird, crazy experience and a great visual thriller ride. And also Nicolas Cage is just going crazy in the movie, and he's great <laughs> in it. It's so good. Uh, so, yeah, Red Miller and Mandy, that is my number two Nicolas Cage performance. Again, I, I think probably, like, the ultimate Nicolas Cage performance um, I think there's one that's slightly better, and we'll talk about that in my number one, but I'm curious Ooh. what your number one is, Mike. I, I'm thinking it might be Mandy, but it might be something else. Let me, let's find out. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that my number one pick is Mandy. Uh, well, actually, I guess I can. can I do have to confirm. Yeah, that is my uh, number one pick. <laughs> I have I to talk that. about it. Yeah, I, I felt like it based, based on um, like our review of Mandy when we talked about it a few weeks ago, I was thinking, like, yeah, you're, his number one's probably Mandy. <laughs> yeah my number one performance uh, of Nicolas Cage is Mandy for sure Um, it is the natural evolution of Nicolas Cage as an actor Uh, like you mentioned it kind of synthesizes all of his his uh, his roles his previous roles into being the the tender tender leading man uh, husband you know father type kind of thing even though he's not a father in this movie right Um, and then just pure action cage and and insanity the chugging the vodka and screaming uh, in the bathroom, which in other movies we talked about in, in our review of Mandy, in other movies with other actors, that would have just been like a goof. But in <laughs> right. Cage, in Mandy with Cage, that is like actual genuine heartfelt, like raw a- anger, pain. And it's like amazing that that scene, like he can convey that in that kind of scene. Um, and yeah, fuck dude, Mandy just rocks. That's all. Yeah, it fucking does. If you haven't I'm, seen Mandy yet, I'm go so watch curious. It. I'm so curious, curious what your number one is. Uh, well, my number one. Uh, now that we're moving on to mine, uh, my number one best Nicolas Cage performance of all time across 89 episodes of this show. It could happen to you. <laughs> Obviously. No, I'm going with best of times. Uh, what are you, crazy? <laughs> Guarding Hon- test. Honestly. <laughs> Guarding test. There's never been a movie that doesn't exist more than Guarding Test. It's... <laughs> um, <laughs> it just... <laughs> It's completely wiped from my memory, except for the fact that the last 15 minutes or so of Guarding Tests are fucking bonkers. Um, 
<laughs> Although, I will say, I mean, Best of Times, though, he does actually give a legit great performance Best of Times. Yeah, that's true. There is one section I, that's incredible. I re- we came back to that so many times over the course of this podcast, being like, man, remember Best of Times when he gave that like monologue to the screen? This weird, goofy 80s TV show pilot that's like a weird sketch comedy laugh-in type thing, and then Cage just has like this three-minute monologue about going to war. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was like the first indication, like, whoa, Cage is a great actor. But no, that's not my number one pick. Uh, my number one pick is from 2002. Got Cage nominated for an Oscar uh, his second time, and a well-deserved one. Uh, his role as Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman in Adaptation. Okay, there's a serial killer, right? Well, no, wait. And he's being hunted by a cop, and he's taunting the cop, right? Sending clues who his next victim is. He's already holding her hostage in his creepy basement. So the cop gets obsessed with figuring out her identity and in the process falls in love with her. Even though he's never even met her. She becomes like 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 the unattainable, like like the holy grail. It's a little obvious, don't you think? Okay, but here's the twist. We find out that that the killer really suffers from multiple personality disorder. Right? See, he's he's actually really the cop and the girl. All of them are him. Isn't that fucked up? The only idea more overused than serial killers is multiple personality. On top of that, you explore the notion that cop and criminal are really two aspects of the same person. See every cop movie ever made for other examples of this. Mom called it psychologically taught. Ooh. Yes. Uh, now this is a, a great movie, one of my favorites. Uh, one of the, like before we started this podcast, I knew I had seen a bunch of Nicolas Cage movies, but certainly not as many as I've, as I've seen now. Uh, but Adaptation is one that I had seen and really loved and uh, you know what I love about Adaptation is that Cage manages to give life to both Charlie and Donald and make them feel like distinct separate people while also being very funny and also hitting some emotional depths that uh, he would occasionally hit in the back half of his career like he does that with Mandy definitely Um, but not nearly as often as he did in the 80s and 90s Uh, and I've had so many people ask me why I do a Nicolas Cage podcast (laughs) because these people think, oh, Nicolas Cage, he's a bad actor, right? Because, you know, all the internet memes and stuff. Uh, Yeah. But I can also guarantee that those people have never seen Adaptation (laughs) and that if they had, they'd shut their stupid faces. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, Adaptation's fantastic. I think it's really, I think it really is Cage's best work. And it's it's a tight call between that and Mandy and Raising Arizona. I think all five of these performances I've just mentioned are like truly fantastic Cage performances. Um, but I think Adaptation gets the edge because it is Cage essentially doing two different performances in the same movie. Characters that look virtually identical, but he manages to make them feel like distinct people. Like You always know when you're watching Charlie and when you're watching Donald throughout the movie. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, Adaptation, I think, is, is the best Nicolas Cage performance. Yeah, I, I like it. Good choice. Yeah, fair enough. All right, and now... Uh, just a quick, a few quick honorable mentions before we uh, go on into our final segment of the show. Uh, wanted to mention uh, Ben Sanderson leaving Las Vegas as one of the best cage performances, the one that won him an Oscar uh, for sure. Uh, also, <laughs> funny that didn't make either of our <laughs> Yeah, it's the way the Oscars work, I guess. But uh, yep. uh, Damon McGreevy slash Big Daddy and Kickass also uh, high up there yeah. for me. Uh, Joe in Joe, <laughs> <laughs> uh, great performance from Cage. Uh, Terrence McDonough in Bad Lieutenant Porter Call of New Orleans, uh, and once again, Peter Liu in Vampire's Kiss, uh, <laughs> which nice. I, I, I always have so much fun saying his name. Peter Liu is, uh, I think, how he pronounced <laughs> it in the movie. It's great. Uh, any uh, quick performances you want to throw out there, Mike? Uh, anyone that you wanted to add to your list but couldn't couldn't quite cut it in, in time? Um, not really. This one, uh, I actually didn't. I had a hard time selecting 
five, but there wasn't any that were like in contention. If that makes sense, you had, hard, a tough, had a hard you time had a coming up time with five. Sele- you had a tough time selecting five, but you made room for the Wicker Man. <laughs> Lick man, it was hard because I, I tried not to uh, cross over lists too much. Yes. Like I didn't want a lot of the same movies coming up, uh, so I was trying not to pick stuff that was on my top ten sure. f- uh, favorite movies. So that was why it was tough. So that's, that. you know, Wicker Man, Wicker Man had <laughs> totally, to sneak in at number two with that. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> totally fine. Uh, all right. Now let's move on into the final segment of the show, Mike. I can't believe we're almost done with this thing. I mean, we're not even almost oh done because we got quite a bit of this. This segment's longer than the rest of them. Uh, we're counting down our top ten, not the top five, the top ten Nicolas Cage movies of all time. Love me tender. Love me sweet. This is it. After four years and 89 episodes, Mike and I are ready to count down our top 10 best Nicolas Cage movies of all time. Now, this can be any movie that we've covered on this podcast. You know, now Never on Tuesday already pops up in Mike's top worst, so we can we can guess it won't show up on his best list. But you never know. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, but I'm but what I'm saying is that like even if Cage is like barely in the movie, it might be on the list in some capacity. I'm mostly saying that for myself because there is one movie on my list that is going to <laughs> make that. Hmm, wonder, wonder what it is. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, let's start off with you, Mike. I have some. Uh, I have some honorable mentions. I'll do that afterwards again, just to not step on any of your picks. Uh, what's your number ten Nicolas Cage movie of all time? Uh, my number ten movie of all time, favorite Nicolas Cage movie, is uh, Paul Schrader's Dog Eat Dog. So let me ask you something. Do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart? No. Well, you see, that's interesting because I'm a big film buff. Bogart was the best, the king. When I was in the joint, there was a movie producer who was in there with me, and I I says to him, I says, do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart? He says, well, yeah, you do, but a stretched out version of him. (laughs) It's a fantastic story. So we're your boys. I don't bring him to stuff like this. No? Nah, they just know what they need to know. Okay. Shall we order a bottle of wine? Yeah, 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 that sounds, sounds good. So, Greco tells me you're a heavy guy. <laughs> I'm not referring to your weight. I mean that apparently you are a gentleman of some power and influence. Yeah, well, I try my best. It is a shitty economy out there, so we all got to work overtime all the time. I heard that. <laughs> nice. I was... <laughs> I was thinking to myself, like, I, I really love Doggy Dog, too. And I was thinking to myself, like, no, maybe that should be, like, higher up. But it didn't quite make my list, so I'm glad it made yours. Yeah, I mean, this was, um, this is, like, crime movie with Stark Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage and some other yep. person who I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> and some third guy, yeah. <laughs> some, yeah, some Jai Courtney motherfucker. Um, 
Definitely, the guy know. looks nothing like Jack Horton. <laughs> no, but it's just some generic white guy in a crime sure. movie. <laughs> um, yeah, and this is just like a weird, dark comedy, just the darkest comedy ever. And uh, it ends with this weird Lynchian death dream sequence where yep. Cage is doing a Humphrey Bogart impression. Uh, <laughs> and it's just like a, a, a treatise on police brutality or some shit i think i don't even really know um but yeah this movie was like a a revelation for us in this late era cage uh yes you know stretch we were in there for a while and we were just getting tired of these vod crime movies and then here comes paul schrader our boy and it was awesome yeah and especially i mean it was so nice to have doggy dog because cage had worked with paul schrader uh well i guess twice before because he had written bringing out the dead but he also directed uh dying of the light uh, which we had reviewed right. a few weeks before Dog Eat Dog, and we both were pretty negative on that movie. We did not like that movie that much at all. And so Dog Eat Dog comes around and it's like, oh man, this is the fucking movie. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, so this is a, the one. Yeah, I'm so glad that a Cage Schrader collaboration worked out the second time. So that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So yeah, great choice for your number 10. Dog Eat Dog, that's a good one. Uh, and, you know, my, my number 10 is actually also a dark comedy. Also, also like weirdly dark in places, but also like you know, kind of emotional and heartfelt. And uh, the movie is The Weatherman from 2005. Man, I'd like to put my face in there, right in there. Tartar sauce. My hips are cold. Tartar sauce. That's when you know it's cold. I like eating pussy. Tartar sauce. A lot of guys don't. Well, maybe they do. Maybe that's just black guys. Tartar sauce. What happened to the guy who was trying to go around the world in a balloon? Did he make it? I should put some espionage or stolen plutonium in my novel. Tartar sauce. Spice it up. Neil Young. Fuck, it's cold. Neil Young. What, why am I thinking about Neil Young? Neil Diamond. Neil. There's not a lot of famous Neils. Is this Wednesday? I wish I had two dicks. I thought the whole family was going to learn Spanish together this year. That never really happened. I haven't had a Spanish omelet in a long time. There we go. Nice. Uh, which was directed by Gore Verbinski. That was episode 44 of this podcast. If anyone wants to go check that out. Uh, I think this might be the most underrated movie of Nicolas Cage's entire career. It is so good. Uh, you know, again, very dark comedy. Uh, utilizes a stream of consciousness. Cage narration ends up feeling very profound and emotionally affecting. I think Cage is great in this movie. Uh, I really love the relationship he has with his daughter in this movie. Uh, I love Michael Caine in this movie. Uh, delivering one of his best performances, genuinely. I think the scene where Michael Caine um, kind of shows up at the end and is like playing the Bob Seger song with Nicolas Cage, uh, and he just gives him the speech about like, in this shit life, all we have, like, it's so good. <laughs> and Michael Caine yeah. is so good in that scene. Uh, it's incredible. And yeah, this is Gore Verbinski directing, who um, had just come off of making Pirates of the Caribbean and is about to jump right back into Pirates of the Caribbean 2. He made this movie in between two gigantic. <laughs> fucking disney blockbusters and it's like this weird esoteric like you know nicholas cage dark comedy thing uh and i just love the weatherman so it's it's so much fun and i think uh one one of my favorite discoveries of this podcast for sure was the weatherman you want to know a fun fact um i realized there is a glaring omission on my list and just before we started i am now shifting uh everything down one to put in that movie that I forgot about. Oh, really? And what's what's now at number 11 and was number 10 is The Weatherman. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, it would have oh, also man. been my number 10. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, I'm glad you had such high esteem for it, too. Uh, so The Weatherman was almost in your top 10, just got cut out at the last second. Uh, yeah. 
It's just unfortunate for the Less weatherman, than... but but it's still got some love, which is nice. <laughs> it still made it, and that's all that counts. There we go. All right, Mike. Uh, you you gotta when you reach the movie that you hastily added in there, you gotta tell me what it is. Um... <laughs> I think you'll know. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> we'll find it. Well, well, let's, yeah, we'll get to it. Well, yeah, let, let me know uh, when it comes around. Uh, but what's your number nine? Number nine was the movie. No, I'm kidding. That's not the movie. Uh, <laughs> number nine. Uh, the number nine movie uh, is The Trust, starring Elijah Wood and Nicolas Cage. Jim, they'll hunt us down. David. Please open it. I asked you nicely. Sorry. Look, if, if you're scared, I get it. It's okay. But I'm not. And, and I've, I've come this far. So please open the door. You'll get killed. I'm, I'm going to ask you one more time. Please open it. Yeah, really going with the late period VOD cage for your uh, for your top ten. Yeah, <laughs> you know we had we got there's how many there's eighty nine movies we only have top ten sure. but I feel like the last the ten the ten nine eight maybe we can kind of like fuck around and highlight some movies that <laughs> <laughs> that movie that people That's would fair. not have. Uh, people wouldn't get to uh, normally sure. in, in their Nicolas Cage viewing. Um, so yeah, I wanted to highlight the trust, which was another one of those like kind of hidden gem um, late age, late, late stage cage um, uh, <laughs> movies there. And it's a, another crime, dark comedy crime movie, <laughs> um, yeah. which I guess is pretty funny that cage made a lot of those at the end there. Yeah. And it's just absolutely insane about cage and, and Elijah Wood are like the, in a the evidence collector cops or something right. like that they like run the evidence lab and they decide to pull off a heist uh and it just goes predictably terribly wrong because everyone that's bumbling idiot criminals and then it's like revealed <laughs> that cage might be more sinister than we had anticipated and and yep. shenanigans uh get darker and it's a, i had a lot of fun with the, the trust i liked it a lot yeah i like the movie a lot too i remember the ending being very very weird uh, like you don't actually know what yeah. happened to Elijah Wood at the end and that kind of thing. But yeah, very fun movie. And I love, you know, just the back and forth between Elijah Wood and Cage. They were a ton of fun together. Uh, and yeah, Cage's performance, like, you know, just the way it starts revealing like way more sinister intentions. It's really, really solid. Uh, so yeah, yeah, the trust from 2016, definitely a good one to, uh, to check out. Uh, and I believe available on Netflix right now. If people want to uh, watch it. Uh, all right. Now my number nine movie, uh, going back to the nineties here, 1998 episode 31 of this podcast Directed by Mr. Brian De Palma, it is Snake Eyes. On the job, Spore. Oh, shit. Sorry, sir. Uh, you need a hand? Uh, no, no, I got it. Shit! You kind of went the stupid way, didn't you, oh. Cyrus? Oh, 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 oh. I got a cut. I need a medic. 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 Well, that's a start. What? What, what? what do you want? What do you think? No! Yes! No, come on, this is not fair, man. Come on! Call the cop! No! Hey! Get out of here! You've got the wrong attitude about all this, Cyrus. You gotta keep positive. You see, when we have these little visits, I allow you, I permit you, I give you the opportunity 
to pay for all the extra police work that you create. That doesn't feel nice to contribute to society for a change. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Come on. You got a bad attitude, you hypocrite. What makes you think you better than me? My friend, Cyrus. Everybody loves Rick Santoro. Uh, nice. Which is a very De Palma thriller um, <laughs> with, I think, a bit of a letdown ending. I will say, like, the ending it's of the movie, it's like, you know, it, it's, I think we talked about it in the episode, it's like a, I, I think that it was supposed to be something else, but they ran out of budget and couldn't do exactly what they wanted to do, so the ending itself is like, it's whatever. But everything leading up to the ending is so much fun. It's aces, uh, especially, I mean, the highlight of the movie is that long 15-minute opening shot um that's just you know single take just following cage through the arena and the hotel and it's cage kind of just doing everything in his actor's arsenal he's like pointing at people and he's shouting and he's beating people up and it's just it's so much fun uh so yeah i'm going with snake eyes as my number nine i think it's a ton of fun and i think honestly one of brian de palma's more underrated movies too yeah yeah nice good pick yeah. uh right. my number eight pick is uh i forget i don't even remember any of the information about this movie like as far as director or year it came out but mom and dad you, you need to leave the house you and dad your motherfucking mother should open the door motherfuckers you're going to open this motherfucking door Yeah, it's a horror movie, quote unquote, uh, yep. <laughs> about about um, the parents in the world decide to uh, murder their f- children, and it's directed <laughs> by both of the guys from Crank. One of the guys from uh, Crank. One of the guys from Crank, Brian Brian Taylor, who also, I mean, th- those two guys together uh, co-directed Ghost Rider Two, also. Uh, right. And then Brian Taylor went solo yes. to do Mom and Dad with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and who's the mom? Is it Winona Ryder? It's no. A, no, it's, it's not. I wish it was she, Winona Ryder. That'd be incredible. Holy, uh, holy shit. No, uh, Selma Blair is the, is the mom of the movie. Selma Blair, that was it. Man, I was close. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, yeah, they I both have know. dark hair. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah. Selma Blair. Um, yeah, and this is a, a, a bonkers fucking horror movie. It's it's just insane. And, and Cage. Uh, I can't remember exactly what he yells, but when they're trying, their their children barricade themselves in the basement at one point, and it's them, uh, Cage and Selma Blair, trying to convince them to open the door, yeah. and and they they shoot through the door, and all this crazy shit goes on, and then there's the the big climactic scene emotionally where Cage sure. uh, destroys a pool table <laughs> with a sledgehammer. And it's pretty powerful stuff, I gotta say. It is, yeah, it's great. I mean, it really is. Like it's one of those things. I remember. Um... When Mom and Dad was coming out, like, that was a scene that everybody highlighted. Like, oh, man, Nicolas Cage is the hokey pokey and destroys pool table sledgehammer. And, like, that was like, oh, it's the crazy Nick Cage scene. And then you watch the movie, and it's, like, the emotional crux of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's pretty nuts. And, yeah, Mom and Dad's a ton of fun uh, and a good choice, I think, for your number eight. Uh, wouldn't, it's not in my yeah. top ten, but it's very, it's a very good choice. Now, my number eight is one that we've mentioned a couple times already on the podcast. Uh, Uh-oh. It's uh, directed by Mr. John Woo from uh, <laughs> episode 29. Oh. Of this episode, 97, the capper to the We Made a Ma trilogy, as you uh, discussed before. Of course, I'm talking about Wind Talkers. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, no, obviously I'm talking about Face Off. Come on, Face Off. It's fucking amazing. It's one of the most insane action movies ever made, uh, especially in English. Yes, great. So, once we kidnap Super Cop, then what? Tiny surgery. 
I'd like to take his his face off. Excuse me, I have to use the little boy's wee-wee room. Cat. You want to take his face? Yes. His face? Oh. The eyes, nose, skin. Face. Uh, it's got <laughs> and it's got Nicolas Cage imitating John Travolta while John Travolta imitates Nicolas Cage and it's got just incredible John Woo action set pieces like John Woo, one of the great action directors of all time. His career in America relatively mixed, but Face Off is easily his best American movie. Uh, and you know, it's it's just everything that John Woo has ever done in movies. Like expounded upon the ten, you know, it's it's you know, there's doves and there's speedboat chases and there's dual wielding <laughs> pistols and there's so much cool shit happening in Face Off and yeah, it's 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 a blast. I, I think probably the best action movie of uh, Nicolas Cage's career, unless you count my number three pick, which we'll talk about later. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Uh, so yeah, that's my number eight. It's Face Off, and uh, yeah, it's a great one. So Mike, what's your number seven Nicolas Cage movie? Uh, my number seven Nicolas Cage movie is uh, David Gordon Green's Joe. You paying my boy? What? Are you paying my boy? Hell yeah. I ain't seen you got paid none. Probably saves it because he's smart. Buying his GMC off of me. You doing what? Nothing. Yeah. He ain't so smart. He don't know nothing. Yeah, neither do you. I'm gonna shoot you straight. That boy works his ass off! He's earned money! And it's his! This truck's a piece of shit. I need to get out of it. If I find out something's happening to that boy, I'm gonna whip whoever's ass has something to do with it. Yeah, this is the, the kind of. Um kind of kind of pre cajessence kind of kind of the first inklings of the cajessence uh, right. yeah. after he'd been in a, a long string of VOD action thrillers um and he gets this really dramatic kind of slow paced um just real like crunchy dramatic role and uh he's great in it I loved him in this and I think it was such a refresher at that point in our our uh, episode you know our our path. I forget. Yeah. I, can't, I can't think of words right now because right. I'm so worked up about Joe, Mike. That's right. really what's going on. I mean, it really uh, is a very emotionally affecting film. You're crying right now. <laughs> Just thinking. Yeah, about I'm it. crying right now. Um, yeah, that that one kid, the actor who's great. He's in a bunch of other shit that I forget uh, about. <laughs> Ty Sheridan, who was in uh, The Tree yes. of Life and Mud, and I think now he's what Cyclops in the X Men movies. I guess not anymore. Um, but he, Ooh, but whoops. But he was uh, Cyclops <laughs> in X Men Apocalypse and uh, in Dark Phoenix, and he was also the lead in Ready Player One. Uh, also yes i was rattled yeah, off the entire yeah. career of ty sheridan because that's a thing that i have i can't believe my that just happened yeah <laughs> this jai courtney motherfucker no um <laughs> and the whole, the whole you described story. ty sheridan and the guy from doggy dog both as jai courtney motherfuckers neither one could look anything less alike that's <laughs> <laughs> not it's not so much as an appearance as a it's, role they play in the movie <laughs> 
sure. Although Ty Sheridan plays a pretty... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more of an emotional Jack, thing. Jack Courtney um, is a state of mind. <laughs> by, the, by the way, the next, <laughs> the, the next series of the Complete Works will be the Jack Courtney podcast. <laughs> God damn it. Um, no, and the whole backstory... <laughs> get the fuck out of here with that uh the whole <laughs> behind the scenes backstory uh about the 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 actor man uh the guy that plays the father in this movie uh being like an actual oh, homeless yeah. alcoholic man that right. kind of like they just found and then he disappeared and then he died i think right. it's actually in real life he's actually dead um, I think he died like a month that's before wild. the movie came out or something like that yeah it's nuts yeah there's a whole there's a whole lot of stuff going on with joe yeah there is absolutely joe very good movie uh directed by david gordon green uh and definitely like the earliest indicator that like the cage of sons is a thing that could happen in the near future and yes. with mandy it finally kind of coalesced into something uh and for my number seven i'm going all the way back to episode five of this podcast uh what in the year we're allowed <laughs> <laughs> in the year 1984, uh, a movie directed by Richard Benjamin and written by Steve Close, who would go on to write most of the Harry Potter movies. This movie was maybe the, the biggest like delightful surprise for me this entire podcast. is one that, that has stuck with me uh, since we reviewed it. I am talking about uh, 1984's Racing with the Moon. Dickie, why do I let you work here? Because when the heat's on, there's nobody can lay down a set of pins faster than me. I'm the best you got. No, you're not. Oh. Well, then, you got me, boss. Uh, wow. Uh, which is just a terrific uh, coming-of-age story. Uh, two teenagers in the 1940s during the summer, right before they shipped off of World War II. Um, Cage had already popped up in a few movies uh, up to that point. Obviously, this is episode five of this podcast. So, I mean, he was already in Valley Girl, right? Valley Girl had already come out. He was already kind of pretty right. well-known at that point. Uh, I think this was his first, like, really great performance in a movie. Um, or at least his first really great, really substantial performance, at least. Outside of, of course, his role in Best of Times. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's just so much fun. I love like the friendship between him and Sean Penn. I love like Nicholas Cage's role as kind of the troublemaker in town. Uh, there's you know this whole weird subplot where Cage and Sean Penn just start hustling people in pool, and that's like the 15 minute diversion of the movie that really has no bearing on the rest of the movie. But it's just so much fun, and uh, yeah, I love the the jazzy big band score they've got going on. Uh, Racing with the Moon is my number seven, and uh, it's a delight. Do you? I mean, it's been a long time since we reviewed this movie, Mike. Do you remember like anything about Racing with the Moon? <laughs> Um, I, you know, hadn't thought about Racing with the Moon until uh, Between Worlds when you mentioned that Nicolas Cage stars alongside, is it Hopper Penn? Oh, <laughs> Sean <yes>. Penn's son. <laughs> and that was technically, we're going to call that a Cage reunion. Yes. Um, and that was the first time I thought about Racing with the Moon since then. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think I do remember it being very good. I do remember it being pretty, like, emotional. And there was kind of a string there where Cage was in these uh, kind of, like, uh, you know, like American graffiti era, uh, sure. Americana movie coming of age movies. And there's a yeah. couple there in that uh, movie, which some of them may come up later. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. There's a couple of coming of age movies. Like, I mean, best of times is sort of a coming of age thing. Sure. Well, I guess, uh, but you know, there was, you know, his <laughs> earliest career, he was like playing teenagers. And in a couple of them, they were like teenagers who were about to go off to war. Uh, like, yeah. like Race with the Moon or like with Birdie uh, with Matthew Modine or with uh, Best of Times and with that little weird little aside that he has, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> Who can forget like, The Boy in Blue? No, I'm kidding. Uh, the Boy, did he go? To, he didn't go to war that movie. I don't he know. Was, he was I a know, it's about guy. sailing. He, he, it was rowing. <laughs> yeah. It was rowing, not sailing. Rowing. <laughs> Fuck. Man, Christopher Plummer was in that movie. Um, he was. You're right. <laughs> uh, all right, Mike, what's your number six movie uh, for Nicolas Cage? Uh, my number six movie is a little bit of a joke, but also not really because, you know, I'm a longtime proponent of making this the hashtag Crudes cast. And number six <laughs> for me is... 
agreed. What are you doing? Yeah, wow. I was up all night because, like, all these ideas just kept coming to me. Um, is that a snake? Belt! New and improved! Ow! It's even self-tightening! Ow! What is that on your head? It's called desperation. I call it a rug. Rhymes with grug. And this one, I call it a ride. Rhymes with grug. Uh, that doesn't rhyme. It's gonna get us places faster than shoes. <laughs> yeah! Try to keep up! I am so glad that you put... I was thinking to myself, like, actually, when we were starting this, like, I wonder, like, if we're gonna bring up the crudes in this podcast. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, I, I really enjoyed The Croods. Didn't make my personal top ten. Uh, but I was like, ah, I wonder if we're going to like work that. Because, I mean, hashtag Croodscast. It's, it's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> Not only did it make my top ten, Mike, it's my number six. Yes. <laughs> Not even number ten. It's number six. Hey. Um, but, yeah, I have, I actually genuinely really do like The Croods. It's, sometimes you just got to put, like, a dumb animated kids movie on. Sure. And The Croods is, is a great choice up there. You know, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh Emma Stone is in it. I forget who plays the like the advanced human who does the vo- like you know the was one that has the, fire. I, I think it was Ryan Reynolds. I want to say it was Ryan Reynolds. Is it Ryan Reynolds? I think yeah, it was. that might be right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cruise cast man, it's great. <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah. Yeah. What, what's the sloth's name? The sloth uh, they hang out with. Who's like uh, Belt? Belt. Yeah, because because he is a belt. Yeah, belt. He's also a belt. Yeah, Cage is Ugg. I think uh, his character's name uh, is Grug. Ugg. Grug Crude. Grug. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And who's the grandma? It's like Cloris Leachman uh, it's or Cloris, some shit. Cloris but it's Leachman's not. in that. Yeah, Cloris Leachman. I think it's um, uh, Cloris Leachman's the grandma who Cage hates, uh, and yeah. Catherine Keener is his wife. That's it. And then I think it was yeah, Crude is fucking yeah. Great, and then I forget who was the son. I feel like it was some kind of comedy guy. Um, yeah, whose name I'm blanking on. I want I, for some reason I want to say Christopher Mintz-Plasa, but I don't think that's right. Uh, so who knows? Maybe it is. Mm. Uh, but but anyway, Crudes, it's great. It's a delight. Uh, you know, it's that, it's Cajun it. caveman times. What more do you want? Uh, and the, yeah, and theoretically, Crudes too. December 2020, we may be seeing it happen. So uh, yeah, that's, potential. That's, Stay tuned for a bonus episode in a few yeah. years. <laughs> All right, hashtag Crudescast will live again. Uh, and now yes. for my number six, I am uh, actually going all the way back again to episode four of this podcast. What? Uh, yeah, I feel like we covered a lot of the best movies really early on <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, episode four of the podcast, uh, Cage's first collaboration with his uncle, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. I'm talking Rumblefish from 1983. Nice. It's coming along then, huh? Oh, in Canada, man. Well, if he's bringing friends, then I'm bringing friends, man. Yeah, but you know how that's going to turn out, Rusty James. Everybody will end up getting into it. You bring people, he brings people. You're gonna have to fight. Well, if you think I'm going to that vacant lot by myself, man, you're fucking crazy. Come on, watch DJ your language over there. Watch it. Bring it down. Bring it down. Cool it off. Spun out. What the hell do you think you're Fuck doing? Fuck you, Smokey. Steve goes wherever I go. Steve, come here. Sit down. So now be quiet. Damn it, Rusty James. It's been a long time since we've had that kind of trouble. Chicken smoke? Oh, smoke's a chicken. Bok, bok, bok. Smokey doesn't want to come. He doesn't. Smokey, we understand you. Hey, Rusty. DJ! James. <laughs> Smokey's a chicken. <laughs> what, you don't want to come? Fine. We don't hey, need Rusty you. James, you know I'm going to be there, man. But you know what the motorcycle boy said about gangs? The motorcycle boy hasn't been around for two months, so don't go telling me about that. What if the motorcycle boy came back and found out? What? I said, what if your brother came back and found out? 
My brother ain't back, man, all right? I'm sick of hearing this shit. Uh, which is uh, just a terrific experiment for Francis Ford Coppola, uh, and a great companion piece of The Outsiders, too. Both, uh, you know, both Coppola movies, both uh, based on S.E. Hinton novels, um, but where The Outsiders is, like, you know, kind of the more mainstream approach to adapting this kind of novel. Uh, Rumblefish is, like, the complete opposite. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's you know Cage in a supporting role in this movie, uh, about the gorgeous you know black and white cinematography, the incredible score from uh, Stuart Copeland from the Police, uh, just that kind of like constant oh, yeah. percussion going on. That's it's really great. Uh, and the trip performances uh, from Matt Dillon, who's incredible in this movie, Mickey Rourke, Diane Lane. Uh, like I think this is another one of those like underseen gems that people like. Uh, you know, I feel like it's gotten a little bit more of a reputation over the last couple of years. Um, I think Criterion put it out. Didn't you buy the Criterion disc of this movie? <laughs> I own the criterion of this, yeah. And yeah, this was right. one of the ones I was referencing with the, uh, you know, those Americana coming of age stories that might sure. show up later. I had a feeling <laughs> Rumblefish okay. was going to be coming back. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you got the criterion for this. So yeah, Criterion put it out on Blu-ray, and it's kind of like been rediscovered a little bit. Uh, and you know, Francis Ford Coppola, his work has been a little bit more reappraised in recent years. I feel like. I mean, he just put out um, the new cut of Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse Now, um, Final Cut, which I saw in theaters, it was great, in the new 4K. Uh, but he also just did a director's cut of, uh, The Cotton Club, which, uh, yeah. we reviewed way back in the day. I haven't watched it since, uh, and I am really interested to watch the director's cut of the movie. I think it's called The Cotton Club Encore, and I've, yeah. it's on Blu-ray for, like, $15, so I might just, like, you know, jump on it and see, uh, see how it, see how it goes. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, The Rumblefish, though, I think one of Coppola's best movies, uh, that I've seen, at least, and I've seen a good chunk of Coppola's movies. Uh, and, you know, a very early supporting for Armstrong Cage. Uh, again, not in too much of the movie, but he's a, a significant enough presence where it's like, yeah, this is kind of a Cage movie. But also, just the movie itself is just so good on its own. It's great. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that uh, Criterion again. Or, well, to watch it again on that Criterion edition. <laughs> that, I'm sure that's dope. All right, my number five pick, coming in hot in the top five, starting the We Made It My Trilogy with oh, The boy. Rock. Why didn't you just tell them where the microfilm was and create a solution? The moment they had the microfilm, they'd suicide me. Some solution. Find it up here. Which brings me to another question. You broke out. Let me see if I can get this straight. You went down the incinerator chute, on the mine car, through the tunnels to the power plant, under the steam engine. That was really cold, by the way and into the cistern through the intake pipe, but <clears throat> how, in the name of Zeus's butthole, did you get out of your cell? I only ask because in our current situation, well, it could prove to be useful information. Maybe! You're starting with The Rock. I was thinking about The, the Rock uh, is one of my honorable mentions. Uh, ah. And it's fucking great. And, it, it, you know, there was a time when I liked The Rock a little bit more than Face Off. Time, like, Brought face off. I think I've seen Face Off more since then. Like I've watched Face Off a couple of times since we reviewed it. Okay. Uh, and so Face Off like inched a little bit ahead for me, but The Rock still fucking great. <laughs> yeah, this movie rocks. Hey, um, hey. this is one of those movies um, where you know uh, if it's ever on TV, like if you're flipping, even if you find like the TNT or TBS cut, like you gotta stop and watch, sure. see what's going on. Even one commercial break, you know, just to check it out. <laughs> uh, and it's it's just it's Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery breaking into Alcatraz to stop Ed Harris, the terrorist. Yeah. Well, what more do you, I need to say to get you to watch this movie. Uh, no, um, it's great. There's a, there's a Hummer chase in the beginning. Cause it's 1994 or whatever the fuck this movie is. <laughs> uh, 96, uh, but yes. 
96. Uh, so there's a Hummer chase. Um, and it's Sean Connery is just old and grumpy, and it's great. He yep. breaks out of prison with a quarter. Uh, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, That's and, all. And, I love it is this Mike, movie. and it is Michael Bay before he, like, you know, he was taking Hollywood by storm already with the one two punch of, like, Bad Boys and The Rock. Uh, but, like, full Bayhem would not be achieved yet. This was, like, slightly right. more restrained Michael Bay. And a new Michael Bay movie just dropped on Netflix um, called Six Underground, uh, which I have not watched yet. I've heard the first 20 minutes are, like, fucking amazing, and the rest of the movie is very questionable. But, <laughs> yeah. which sounds like a Michael Bay movie to me. Yeah. But uh, I'm really curious to watch it and see how it plays. Because I've heard, like, you know, this new one, it's like, you know, Netflix's approach is just don't give any studio notes, just let the auteur do whatever they want. And that's a very dangerous thing to do for Michael Bay. So I'm really curious <laughs> to see how that goes. But The Rock is like, I think it's the best version of Michael Bay. It's most of the best parts of him and the least amount of the worst parts of him. Fair. <laughs> all, in one, uh, all in one movie. It's still, I, I think Pain and Gain is his best, but The Rock is a very close second. <laughs> I love Pain and Which Gain. stars The Rock. Which stars The Rock. There you go. Layers. Uh... Char- Charlie with the connection <laughs> the board. Carol. Um... <laughs> <laughs> all right now let's move on to my number five Nicolas cage movie of all time uh which features my favorite Nicolas cage performance of all time uh it's adaptation uh episode 39 of this podcast uh directed by spike wow. jones written by charlie kaufman yeah i just don't want to ruin it by making it a hollywood thing you know like 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 an orchid heist movie or or something you know or uh you know changing the orchids into poppies and turning into a movie about drug running you know why, why can't there be a movie simply about, about flowers I guess we thought that maybe Susan, Orlean, and, and, and LaRoche could fall in love. Okay, and but I'm saying it, it's like I don't want to cram in sex or uh, guns or car chases, you know, I, or characters, you, you know, learning profound life lessons or growing or coming to like each other or overcoming obstacles to succeed in the end, you know. I mean, it's, it's, the, the book isn't like that, and, and life isn't like that. You know, it just isn't. And I feel very strongly about this. Uh, And like I said, Cage's finest performance. Uh, The Academy gave him a second nomination for this one. Uh, And the dual role of Charlie and Donald Kaufman, really only the beginning of how meta this movie gets. Uh, I mean, it's a great, (laughs) great Hollywood satire and a look at a man driving himself insane for the pursuit of great art. Uh, and then finding only really finding a semblance of happiness um, in like selling out and getting into a commercial success type thing. Uh, you know, it's Charlie Kaufman kind of analyzing his own neuroses, but also analyzing the state of Hollywood in general. And I, I love it. It's so much fun, uh, but also very emotional and very intense. And Meryl Streep's great in the movie. Uh, Chris Cooper is really great in the movie. Uh, and you know, it's, it's I love the connections to being John Malkovich that are happening in this movie too, because Charlie Kaufman had written that movie. Uh, and also, Spike Jones had directed it, and so you have like you know John Q that just popping up like wordlessly in the middle of a scene and that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's fun. So yeah, adaptation is my number five Nicholas Cage movie of all time. It's great. I can't believe that's the number five for you. I feel like that that could have been a way higher movie if I had to make a list of what I thought your number your list would be. <laughs> that's I would have put that a few. That's a few. what we should we should have like made lists for each other to figure out like what like matched up. Done predictions. <laughs> uh, wow. But yeah, that's my number five. Uh, that's pretty funny because my number four pick is adaptation. Oh boy, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, yeah, everything uh, Mike just said. Yeah, I agree. I concur. Ditto. Um, <laughs> it's got one of my favorite things, like where, like where he goes to like that writing class or whatever, and uh, Brian Cox is teaching the, it. Ri- yeah. yeah, and he tells him never ever use a Deus Ex Machina, and then the movie ends with him getting saved by an alligator. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
You get saved by a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is just what a what a fucking performance from Cage doing the dual roles and like you mentioned earlier, uh, where it's like you can always tell exactly which one like who is who, even when they're only on screen separately. And I think I remember recently. I don't remember what it was. It might have been one of those like um, Vanity Fair like top role things that Cage did. He might have done one of those videos, and he talked about uh, you know they had filmed one scene as one as like one of the characters, and then he put an earpiece in. Uh, and film the other half of the scene with his dialogue being fed back to him. So, like, that's how he'd film both halves, which is pretty wild. Yeah. That's a pretty cool way to, to have to make this movie. And Cage is just, he's just, he's just perfect. Chef's gifts in this movie. Yeah, he is, he is fantastic. So, yeah, that is Adaptation, my number five, and Mike's number four. Uh, and then for my number four, uh, remember how I prefaced this by saying, like, we're doing any movie that we covered in this podcast, even if Nicolas Cage <laughs> is barely in the movie? Uh, yes. Because that's where this is coming back to. We're going all the way back to episode two. <laughs> for this what? podcast uh my number four pick uh for the best movies that we've covered Ugh. uh is fast times at ridgemont high sir if you just give me a minute i'll find the forms i'll take care of everything i don't have a minute you've made me late enough i am so tired of dealing with incompetence it says 100 percent guaranteed you moron mister if you don't shut up i'm gonna kick 100 percent of your ass that doesn't count <laughs> that's why i prefaced it by saying it does <laughs> Okay, that's, that's why, fair. You that's, cheated. That's why I warned you ahead of time that it would count. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, this one is a bit of a cheat because Cage is maybe in four <laughs> seconds of this movie. <laughs> Does he have any lines? I don't Z- think he even nope. says anything. Zero lines. <laughs> he has a reaction shot when Judge Reinhold's being fired in the uh, in the fast food right. joint, and that's pretty much it. I think he also pops up in the opening montage of kids like in high school where he like puts a kick me sign on somebody's back or something like that. Yeah, um, but yeah, Fast Times First Run High. I know Cage is barely in this movie, but he is in it. We did cover it on this podcast because this is the complete works, uh, and this is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I feel like it had to be on there. Fair. Uh, this is directed by Amy Heckerling, who would go on to make Clueless and the Look Who's Talking movies and uh, a couple of other big things, European Vacation. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we covered this movie. It counts, and it's great. It's one of the best high school movies of all time. Uh, I think filled with just memorable characters and relatable situations. I think it's funny. It's sometimes devastating. It's got a great soundtrack. Uh, very early performances from Jennifer Jason Lee and Judge Reinhold and Phoebe Cates and his Racing with the Moon co-star Sean Penn uh, and Forrest yep. Whitaker and a whole lot more. And of course, Nicolas Cage, uh, who again barely in the movie. I know this movie <laughs> shouldn't technically be on the list of the best Nicolas Cage movies. But we did cover this movie on the podcast, and I am putting it on there because it's my list, and, I can, and it's my list, and I can do what I want to. So, <laughs> yeah, there yeah we go. God damn it, it's our podcast. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's my number four pick. I know uh, I'm guessing that means you didn't pick Fast Times Ridgemont High. Like, is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, no, I did not pick Fast Times Ridgemont High. Okay, what movie did you think I was going to pick? Out of curiosity, or maybe it'll pop up in one of our uh, lists. So uh... <laughs> maybe it'll pop up. We'll see. Okay, uh, what's your number three movie of uh, for Nicolas Cage, Mike? My number three movie. Uh, is the Joel and Ethan Coen's Racing Arizona. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Look at that. I don't know why I said that like uh, so definitively. Like, huh. <laughs> yeah, Racing Arizona. I mean, what? It, we talked about it already, but what? No, you, you said it as if like nobody had ever thought about picking Racing Arizona <laughs> as one of the best Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> uh, yeah. You fools, you plebeians. Look. I picked Racing Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> you absolute Philistines. Um <laughs> Yeah, Raising Arizona is great. That's all I got to say. I don't know. We talked about it a bunch before <laughs> in the talk performances. Yeah, we did. Um, that, that's all. Do I need to say anything more? There's Raimi Cam. That's dope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, Raising Arizona. I'm getting, I'm getting a little punch drunk, Mike. Yeah, we, 
I mean, so am I. It's it's whatever. It's you know, we're, we're almost like we're like two hours in the podcast. I think we can we've earned that right. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Raising Arizona. It's great. Love that movie. Might pop up on my list later on. We'll see what happens. Ooh, we'll uh, see. We're kind of running out of space here. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens, Mike. Who's to say what? <laughs> yeah. Go on. Allegedly. I didn't say it will. I didn't say it will happen. Uh, all right. Now my number three movie of the of, uh, of the year of Nicolas Cage's uh, career. <laughs> We could, we could do a top ten list of just movies that Cage put out in one year, but we could <laughs> we could do that. But no, my number three movie that Nicolas Cage ever starred in, one that we covered very recently on the podcast, um, episode eighty eight uh, of the show, uh, directed by Messieurs Peter Ramsey, Rodney Rothman, and Bob Parachetti. Uh, it's a movie called Spider Man into the Spider Verse. My name is Peter Parker. My name is Penny Parker. My name is Peter Parker. I was, I was bitten, bitten by, by a radioactive spider. Pig. In my universe, it's 1933, and I'm a private eye. I like to drink egg creams, and I like to fight Nazis. A lot. I'm from New York in the year 3145. I have a psychic link with a spider who lives inside my father's robot. And we're best friends. <laughs> Forever. Sometimes I let matches burn down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything. Oh. Fair. Uh, which is, you know, I, I think, you know, Cage, again, he's a highlight of this movie. Absolutely a highlight of the movie as Spider-Man Noir, but he is just one part of a pitch-perfect ensemble in this movie. Uh, and I love this movie so much. I think the 2010s have been pretty defined by superhero movies as, like, the go-to blockbuster. And there are movies that are more popular than Spider-Verse. There are movies that made more money. But this is the best superhero movie of the decade and one of the all-time greats. Nicolas Cage, so much fun as Spider-Man Noir. Everything about the movie, from its style to its message, just feels, like, effortlessly revolutionary uh, in a way that uh, very few movies really feel anymore. And, uh, you know, just the, I mean, just the animation of this movie alone. We talked about it a lot not that long ago, so I won't go too deep into it but spider-man into the spider-verse it's great uh it's on netflix right now people should go watch it uh and Nicolas Cage, <laughs> a delight in the movie again only in like maybe five-ish minutes of the movie all told like he's in he's in the movie throughout but like if you kind of compile all his scenes together he's like in five minutes basically yeah uh but he is absolutely fantastic as spider-man noir like i i used to love that character like you know growing up i loved spider-man he's all he's always been my all-time favorite superhero uh and i played a lot of spider-man games and i read a lot of comics and spider-man noir was you know just one that i always had a lot of fun with and when i heard that nicholas cage was going to play spider-man noir i was like i couldn't believe this was happening uh so yeah it was like a dream come true and he was so much and he was so much fun again doing his humphrey bogart impression uh right. <laughs> as spidey noir uh so yeah that's my number three pick for the best nicholas cage movie of all time wow uh that's pretty funny because my number two pick it's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, yeah, which is the movie that I thought you were warning us about uh, for being, well, no matter how little Cage is in, uh, ah. <laughs> you know, it's still going to count, which is also the movie I forgot about and bumped Weatherman down to number 11. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so I forgot about my number two pick, Mike. <laughs> Man, that's nuts. <laughs> wow. Audible. Game changer. Absolutely. Yeah, you're really, yeah, you were playing with fire there, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Close to the edge. Hey, if you wait to the last minute. It only takes a minute. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like you said, uh, it's just this movie revolutionized, uh, I think, animation, mo- animated movies, uh, superhero movies. It's, I think, the best superhero movie of the last however many years you want to yeah. say, uh, which is pretty funny because it's this kind of little like one-off thing on the side and it's going to change right. the game forever. Um, it's got my girl Spider-Gwen in it. We talked about that. We, I mean, Absolutely. we just did, like you said, we just did an episode on this recently. But go listen to us wax poetic on that episode because uh, we spent a long time just being like, this movie's great. And it yes. really is. It is really great. <laughs> it and is it's really my number great. two movie of all time. 
Of, of Nic- for Nicolas Cage, you're saying? For Nicolas Cage or ever. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. Well, that would make your number one pick your favorite movie of all time. Just throw oh, that God, out fuck. There. All right. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Apparently you're not as passionate about number one. Maybe your number one should have been Spider-Verse. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. My number two movie. Uh, one of my favorite filmmakers and one that, um, you know, I was a fan of this guy. I was a fan of this filmmaker before we started the podcast, but I became a much bigger fan of this filmmaker after we started the podcast. Uh, I'm talking about David Lynch with Wild at Heart for number two, Nicholas Cage nice. movie. You know, I'm thinking of breaking parole and taking you out to Santa California. Sailor! You look for that? I'd go the far end of the world for you, baby. Oh, you know I would. Rocking good news. <laughs> Those toenails about dry yet, sweetheart? We got some dancing to do. You texted me the other day. You were listening to our old episode of Wild at Heart, um, yes. and you and you were like, "Man, we were, we were so young then. You hadn't even watched Twin Peaks yet." And I was like, "Oh my yeah. god, you're right." Uh, yeah, the Twin Peaks, which has since become one of my all-time favorite shows. This was before Twin Peaks: The Return had happened. I think it had been announced. Um, I think we might talk about that in the episode, or like, I if don't, it, I don't think so yet, because you were like, "Oh, actually, no, it was." Yeah, because you say, like, oh, well, this just got announced, so I want to watch the whole series before then. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Twin Peaks The Return had, like, just been announced uh, relatively recently, and I had like was starting to make plans to, like, all right, I'm going to start watching Twin Peaks to catch up in time before Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, so I hadn't actually watched Twin Peaks at the time I watched Wild at Heart, uh, like some kind of schmuck, you know? And <laughs> you <laughs> fool. Was... Uh, but I was a David Lynch fan based on what I had seen at the time. I'd seen Blue Velvet, I'd seen Razorhead, a couple other things here and there. Uh, but now, like, I've dived into most of his work and become a much bigger David Lynch fan, and I'm a Twin Peaks super fan. Like, I love that show, and I, I think Twin Peaks The Returns one of the greatest, like, arguably the greatest TV season of all time. It's incredible. Uh, and Wild at Heart is one of my very favorite David Lynch things. Um, it is weird, and it's funny, and it's silly, uh, and it's scary, and it also has a lot of heart and it's very wild. Um, hey, but, uh, yeah, about that. And, you know, a lot of that heart was present in Twin Peaks, um, but isn't often shown in his movies. I feel like his movies tend to be a little bit darker than, than Twin Peaks actually was. Um, but this movie feels very much of a piece with the original series of Twin Peaks uh, because it was made right around the same time, features a lot of the same cast members. I think Sherilyn Fenn shows up for a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. and a couple other, couple other. I think, I think um, Cheryl Lee also shows up for a uh, brief... She plays Glinda the Good Witch, actually, at the very end of the movie. Um <laughs> That's right. I forgot that's yeah. how that movie ends. Uh, but the very heart of the movie is Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern together, and they are incredible, one of the great cinematic couples of all time. And we talked about Cage's performance earlier in the episode as Sailor Ripley. Uh, he is so much fun. I, I just love that criminal element that he brings to the movie, but also that kind of like genuine love and affection that he has for Laura Dern, and also the kind of weird, outsized Nicolas Cage funny things that he does. It's just great. Wild at Heart, that is my number two pick for the best Nicolas Cage movie of all time. Uh, and now I have a guess as to what your number one movie uh, is, Mike. And I feel I, I, I think it could go a couple different ways, but I'm, Ooh, curious, I'm curious what it'll be. Um, but I'm, I'm locking in a guess in my head. So why don't okay. you tell me? Why don't you tell me right now? What's your number one Nicolas Cage movie of all time? Pause, real quick. Uh, a fun, a fun thing with Re- uh, not Red Rock West. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Wild at Heart. In that episode, you, uh, I believe, mentioned some cage reunions, and you say it'll be fun to track these for the rest of the thing. So, like, that was, like, kind of the birth of your idea of cage reunions, <laughs> is that <laughs> is in that. Uh, and I thought that was a, a delightful walk down memory lane that we should all share. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. That's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. <laughs> now, back to my number one movie of all time. 
Sure. Uh, fuck, no, Cage. No, number one Cage movie of all time. I only watch Nicolas Cage movies, and so these are the best movies ever made. I've never seen any other movies. and I've been trapped in this endless podcast hell for four years. But the tunnel at the end, the light at the end of that tunnel at the podcast hell was Mandy. I knew it was Mandy. That was, the, guess, come that was on. the guess that I locked in my head. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come on. Of course it's Mandy. It's the sure. distillation of everything we love about cinema, I think. Uh, just fucking bonkers, balls out, swing for the fences. Uh, auteur cinema tm uh however you want to say it uh yep yeah and it's it's the it's actually i think it like we've been using the joke of like the natural evolution thing uh but i think it's true about mandy it's like actually a real the real answer to that question if it's for mandy (laughs) it's heavy metal it's psychedelic it's fucking weird latex knife dick coke snorting violence uh (laughs) eyeballs getting popped out it's yeah. just it's great. There's a tiger in a scene for some reason. <laughs> I don't I don't know why. I still haven't cracked that scene. Yeah. Um but yeah, this is a movie I'm gonna come back to for the rest of my life, probably. Yeah, I mean Mandy's so fucking good. We uh, we're both big fans of that movie. Really the true arbiter of the Cage of Sons. Did not make my top ten. It was very close. Wow. It's an honorable mention, for sure. Okay. Um, but it did not quite reach top 10 level it is great it's awesome and definitely features one of Nicolas Cage's best performances uh in my estimation his number two best performance of all time you're number one uh yes. but uh but yeah he is incredible in the movie and Mandy just the visual style of that movie Panos Cosmatos just going all out on uh what he was doing there and I mean the soundtrack too we didn't even mention before Johan Johansson oh, yeah. the score uh incredible there uh great supporting performances from Andrea Riseborough as Mandy and Linus Roach as uh, Jeremiah Sand uh just fantastic all around like everything about mandy is so so good uh and uh, a worthy contender for your number one spot uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you'll allow it i'll allow it <laughs> oh, thank you Mike. but watch yourself counselor uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh all right mandy is mike's number one nicholas cage movie of all time and now you can probably guess what my number one nicholas cage movie of all time is uh because i kind of alluded to the fact that this movie would appear on the list at some point uh, it's my Halloween costume from this year, <laughs> uh, directed by Messrs. Joel and Ethan Cohen. Episode ten of this podcast. I am, of course, talking about Raising Arizona from 1987. Which one you get? I don't know, Nathan Jr. I think. Give me here. There's the instructions. Oh, he's beautiful. Yeah, he's awful damn good. I think I got the best one. I bet they were all beautiful. All babies are beautiful. This one's awful damn good, though. Don't you cuss around him. He's fine, he is. I think it's Nathan Jr. We are doing the right thing, aren't we, Hi? I mean, they had more than they could handle. Well, now, honey, we've been over this and over this, and there's what's right, and there's what's right, and never the twain shall meet. But don't you think his mama will be upset? I mean, overly? Well, of course she'll be upset, sugar, but she'll get over it. She's got four little babies almost as good as this one. Like when I was robbing convenience stores. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> I know you do, honey. I love him so much. <laughs> I know you do. Uh, Episode 10? That's crazy. Episode 10, yeah. And we watched this movie like 
three or four years. It was 2015, I think, when we watched Raising Arizona. And I recently rewatched it. Um, and I, I didn't even need to. I, I've seen Raising yeah. Arizona. I can't count the number of times I have seen this movie. It's one of those things that I've just been watching, like, you know, on a loop since I was 10 or 11 years old. I love this movie so much. It's one of my very favorite Coen Brothers movies. Uh, and it was my favorite Cage movie before we started this podcast. It remained my favorite Cage movie. <laughs> When it was all so nothing done, changed. Nothing <laughs> changed. Uh, I mean, I was introduced to a lot of great movies, and I and a lot of movies that I hadn't seen before had made my top ten. But Raising Arizona, I think, is just so ingrained into my personality and into my memories. Like, I can't get rid of Raising Arizona, and I just rewatched it recently. It's a perfect movie. It's great. It's supremely rewatchable. Uh, again, one of Cage's best performances, along with uh, one of Holly Hunter's best performances too. I think she yeah. is incredible in the movie. I, I like. As good as Cage is in the movie, I think Holly Hunter is equally as good. Uh, and, you know, she's like, I love Nicolas Cage, but I feel like I imitate Holly Hunter's lines in the movie more. <laughs> in the movie. You know, just the way she's like, she has like, we- like, she has like weird Cage line readings in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Where she is like, you know, we got a child now, everything's changed, and that kind of thing. It's great. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, the Cohen brothers at their zaniest, um, with a bit of like the Sam Raimi streak in them, too. Like back when they were like hanging out with Sam Raimi a lot. Um, and so you get like the Raimi cam a little bit when they do the push up into the into the into the bedroom window and everything. Uh, it's great. The yodeling soundtrack. I never get sick of that. Uh, and it's a movie that is so like immediately immersive that like when the title finally shows up, it's after an eleven minute narration and it's like a genuine shock <laughs> that it happened <laughs> because you feel like no time is like. But it's genuinely like when you like when I watched the movie. I think when I watched it again for the podcast, I had to like I checked the time to see when the title came up and it was like eleven or twelve minutes in. And it's like how. How did I not realize that this so much time had passed? And how, like, how insane is it for them to just begin a movie with a ten-minute narration from Nicolas Cage, <laughs> <laughs> like, like detailing all of backstory? Like, not it's it's pretty nuts. It doesn't play by the rules of cinema, but it is so much fun. Uh, one of Joel Nathan Cohen's best movies, and uh, my favorite Nicolas Cage movie is *Raising Arizona* from 1987. There it is. Yeah, and that was what your number three on the on the list, Mike. Yes, my number three. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good spot for it too. But it's it's the number one. <laughs> But it's the best. So, <laughs> but it's the best. Uh, and then a couple of honorable mentions I want to throw out there. Uh, Mandy and The Rock were on your list, Mike. Um, so I wanted to throw out uh, Leaving Las Vegas, uh, Vampire's Kiss, again, classic Nicolas Cage movie, uh, and Red Rock West, which um, is yeah. a great neo noir uh, that we really liked when we saw it. That actually is like my number eleven um, <laughs> on the list, and just couldn't quite make the top ten. Um, but really, really good, and one that we were both saying, like, man, we should rewatch Red Rock West uh, at some point, because it's been a long time, we remember really liking that movie. But yeah, any, uh, anything else, any other movies that you wanted to highlight, anything that you almost made your cut? I mean, I know The Weatherman almost made your list. Weatherman uh, was one-off, man, just made it, yeah. or just missed it. Um, <laughs> Red Rock West, I listened to our episode of it, and we both really liked it, but I didn't feel comfortable uh, putting it on the list without rewatching it, and I just didn't get the chance okay. to. Rumblefish was on my is in my honorable mentions. I wanted to put it on there, but I couldn't quite work it out how I could get it on there. Yeah. Uh, and then one that just popped in my head while you were talking about Racing with the Moon, uh, but I haven't seen it in a very long time, which is Birdie, oh, yeah, uh, which Birdie's just great. just got a Blu-ray release from Arrow. And like I was tempted to pick it up, but I don't really remember anything about it. Uh, you know, other than Matthew Modine thinks he's a bird, and that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that alone. Uh, but I remember it also being, I think that might be post-war. Uh, it's one of those coming-of-age things. I don't really quite remember I, exactly. I think it was both. I think it's 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 kind of like going back and forth between different eras in their lives. And so you have like them leading up to the war, and then you have them kind of reflecting on war afterwards, I think. I think um, so, yeah. yeah. I, I don't really remember. But it was lumped in with that kind of like coming-of-age Americana era, like Racing with the Moon and Rumblefish and that kind of stuff. Right. 
So yeah, wanted to mention it because I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't remember if it would be, make my list, but there you go. Yeah, fair enough. And I also wanted to give a shout out to some other movies that we haven't really mentioned that much throughout this episode, uh, but that I think are great. Uh, Knowing, one of my... <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, Knowing So Good. I, I feel like that's a movie that you really hated when we went into the podcast. We went into the, yeah. <laughs> when we went into this. And I feel like I like almost convinced you that it was good. Um, yeah, you did. It's like my, my great victory on this podcast is like knowing like he he almost came around <laughs> you almost got me uh yeah that I, I think that movie's great it's you know it's dumb in certain places and like it's it's shaky at best but like it is <laughs> i think i think it's swinging for some big fences uh and it's it's having a lot of fun uh drive angry also is another one that i really love um that you did not so much <laughs> yep. um but another one that i feel like i maybe convinced you a little bit that might be good yeah um, maybe <laughs> but that's a movie that I think is a blast and we did mention the, uh, the sex scene in that movie and the most insane cage moments uh, as well <laughs> uh, also Moonstruck we didn't really talk about Moonstruck but that's a, oh, yeah. a really great early cage movie I feel like people know it more as like because Cher was in it she was the star and everything yeah, but it's a great romantic uh, comedy and I feel like you know I feel like when we, were, when we reviewed it I feel like we both kind of reacted to it I don't think either of us had seen the movie um, before, we, before we watched no. it uh, and we both watched it, and we were both like, yeah, that was fine. Like, I think we both kind of felt like it was, like, fine, whatever. Um, as time has gone on, as the years have gone on, like, I've just, like, like, I feel like Moonstruck has grown in my estimation in my mind. I haven't seen it since. Um, but I've really, like, you know, think about, like, especially, I mean, Danny, Danny Aiello just passed away, and so I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so he was in Moonstruck, and so I saw people tweeting about his role in that movie and that kind of thing, and, you know, so it's just, it's just been on my mind lately. I guess, but uh, Moonstruck's very good. Uh, Bringing Out the Dead, the Martin Scorsese movie that Nicolas Cage was in. Um, yeah. Also a great movie, very, very good. Uh, and also, we uh, we mentioned The Rock, we mentioned Face Off, we really haven't mentioned Con Air at all in this uh, in this podcast. <laughs> we left <laughs> it out. Yeah, it, it is the red-headed stepchild of the, uh, of the We Made Not trilogy, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it is, definitely. It's good, it's fun, it's a, it's a very fun action movie, um, but, you know, and it's got an amazing cast, you know, with uh, Nicolas yeah. Cage and John Malkovich and John Cusack and Steve Buscemi and everybody but you know it's 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 not as good as the rocker face off and it's like by a significant margin i think <laughs> it's fun it's a good time but it's definitely not as good um and yeah i'm trying to think of any other movies i want to give a quick shout out to i don't know the family man uh <laughs> i thought about good. yeah was it surprisingly good i don't remember I think the family man was surprisingly good up until the ending, which was deranged. Um, was, oh yeah, it was a ridiculous like bananas ending that uh, completely like destroyed whatever goodwill I had for the movie. But it was good up to that point, uh, or like pretty good. Like it's not like you know it's not like a plus great stuff, but it's like, yeah, yeah, it was an enjoyable time. It's another um, Christmas movie, I think. That is another, uh, or t- or partially takes place at Christmas at least. Yeah, or maybe, you know what it is a Christmas movie, yeah. Um, both National Treasures. I mean, we kind of referenced National Treasures 2 <laughs> yeah. before, but, uh, you know, that's that's a big one, you know. Uh, classic Cage, for sure. Classic Cage blockbuster. Gone in 60 Seconds. You want to throw that one out there? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah. Classic. Angelina Jolie, right, I think is in that? Sure, yeah. Angelina Jolie. 8mm? Uh, I almost <laughs> I'm just, put 8mm on the worst, but... Did you I'm really? Like, yeah, but, like, I also kind of, like, just for the laughs, <laughs> wanted to bring up 8mm, <laughs> but I felt like there were other movies that were more deserving of being on the worst list. Right. Well, that's the thing. I feel like we, we've covered so many movies over the course of this podcast, and I want the, I want this episode to represent as many of them as possible, so that's, which is why I'm just, like, <laughs> shouting off, like, random movies at this point. You're just uh, listing kick movies. Ass. <laughs> yeah, Kick-Ass is great. G-Force, guys. Go watch G-Force. G-Force, Yeah. Cage plays a gerbil. It's a, it's wild. Uh, how about the ant bully, which was you know one of wow. the um, 
one of the most insane kids movies I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> what about what about Astro Boy? Astro Boy, I, honestly, pretty good. Like I, I liked Astro Boy. I thought <laughs> it was solid. <laughs> Again, that might feed, that might be part of the Stockholm syndrome thing that we have going on. Yeah, yeah. or that I have. Specific. I feel like you've had clearer eyes than I have <laughs> for a lot of these movies. Uh, where I was like, yeah, Astro Boy. I mean, you know, it was it was no uh, it was no Ant Bully, but it was pretty. Good. <laughs> no, the Ant Bully is much worse than Astro Boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Peggy Sue got married, which you know had I think that might have been the first time we had Cage doing a really weird voice. Um, that's the nasally voice. Yeah, I think that's so. the very nasally voice, which he repeated in G Force. Right. Uh, <laughs> which made more sense in G Force because he was a gerbil. <laughs> <laughs> and Peggy Sue got married. He's a human, and it's very weird. But and he like, has a great. He has great, like, you know, musical numbers with Jim Carrey and everything. It's great. Right. Not only is he human in Peggy Sue Got Married, he's like a romantic lead. <laughs> he's doing that yeah. fucking voice. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, he's much more believable as a romantic lead in, say, Moonstruck, where he's actually right. given, like, a really great performance, and he's very charming, and, like, he's very masculine in that movie. And Peggy Sue Got Married, he's like this nebbishy, nasally <laughs> guy. Uh, and, and it's supposed to play into that. Like, he's supposed to be kind of a loser in the movie that, that you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty solid stuff there but yeah uh any other random cage movies you want to throw out there before we start wrapping this thing up mike oh man at this point i can't think anymore so no <laughs> <laughs> i think we've exhausted our cage resources for I've, the final time i have i've taken a deep sigh and the last four years of cage have just bled out of me i have no more <laughs> thoughts about cage anymore that's it i'm done Oh, the, man. The oh, curse man. has yeah, been lifted. Yeah. The, the evil has been lifted. The we evil have... has been defeated. <laughs> that w- <laughs> Nicholas Cage has been turned into a happy frog. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Yeah, I think we can finally start wrapping this up. We're closing the book on Nicholas Cage. I can't believe we're finally saying that. It's, it's insane. Uh, and like I said, we will eventually get back to his 2019 performances and beyond at some point with some bonus episodes um, for whatever the next podcast that we do is. But for now... We're saying goodbye to our friend Nicholas Cage. We've finally uh, gotten in the cage, gotten out of the cage. Uh, We're alone yeah, in the I, cage. I can't. I don't know. Yes, we we are getting into the. We we were in the cage and now we're out of the cage. And also, you know, despite starring in Rage, <laughs> he is still just Nicholas Cage. Uh, I. I couldn't let the final episode go without one more time doing that. Fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, Mike. That is the end of the complete works with Nicolas Cage. So where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, uh, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the complete works over the last four years it has meant it has meant a lot to us i'm mike smith that's mike dupree show don't forget to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts or spotify or any other podcast app if you want to contact us hit us up at nicholas cage complete works at gmail.com and you can find the rest of our podcast on rapture press alongside the review zoo a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff uh so we're not really sure what the future looks like for the complete works yet but when we do you're going to be the first to know about it. Uh, we're going to put out an episode in January uh, where we figure out who our next podcast will be about. Uh, the name of the podcast might change, but Mike and Mike talking about movies definitely won't. Because uh, <laughs> uh, we have two podcasts uh, that do that. This is also true. Have you got, have you got your shortlist uh, down for who you want uh, for the January episode, Mike? 
Uh, so we we decided we're gonna do five actors, a list of five actors, yeah. and we're gonna take turns kind of doing it out over who our person should be. Right now, my list is at six. You're, you're at six right now. Okay, yes. so you gotta eliminate one more name, and then we're duking it out. We'll figure it out. I mean, if if we both happen to pick the same name, that will probably be the name that we go with. But you never know. <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> we'll figure out. We'll figure out how it goes. So yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun uh, figuring out who the next episode, of the, uh, who the next series of the Complete Works will be about. Um, plus, we still got Mike and Mike go to the movies going on, and the next episode will have us talking Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, which I'm sure will be a calm episode, and no one will have any strong feelings about it one way or the other. No, I'm sure it'll be a pleasant discussion. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a very pleasant discussion, as Star Wars discussions always Correct. are. Correct. <laughs> uh, all right, thank you so much for listening over the years, guys, and thanks for getting in the cage one last time. <laughs>